And good morning, everyone, or good evening, or good afternoon, depending upon where you are on this rotating globe. Welcome to another edition of The Other Side of Midnight, that magical time between dusk and dawn, when we get into subjects that used to not be covered in the mainstream, and now they are kind of uh, 24-7, and that is not an accident. There are strange and stranger and strangest things occurring on planet Earth tonight and tomorrow night and the next night and for the foreseeable future. And as someone was saying just before airtime, and they're only going to get more interesting. Um, What was that Chinese curse? May you live in interesting times? Well, it looks like, in terms of mythologies, the Chinese are in control of the planet because we are certainly living in extraordinarily interesting times. And just how interesting is going to be the subject for the next three hours of conversation about some basic elements of nothing less than planetary transformation, uh, kind of like whether we want it or not. Before I get to my guest this morning and the topic of our conversation, let me uh, do a couple of news items at the top, which are all all kind of related. Um, If you go to the other side of midnight and you click on uh, or you look for the other side of midnight.com, that's uh, our URL. And then you click on the banner at the top of the uh, homepage, which says is earth under deliberate climate attack. With our guest, Dane Wigington, click on that. That will take you to the guest page. And right under there, you will see items, fast links. Click on mine. That will take you down to the section of radio with pictures where I have some news items. If you haven't been noticing, if you've been kind of tied up with, you know, your local situation with the weather, because the weather is really weird in a lot of places around the planet, Uh, There have been extraordinary floods in Germany and Belgium over the last several days. In fact, I saw one headline that said that there was the equivalent of two months' worth of rain in a couple of days. And, of course, the uh, ground and the groundwater systems and the uh, runoff and all that is not built to accommodate that extraordinary, extraordinary stress. And so there have been massive floods. There's something like 1,500 people missing in Western Germany around Cologne and in Belgium and something like 150 confirmed deaths so far. And unfortunately, those numbers are going to change and not in a positive direction. And what was really curious is that someone sent me a link this afternoon and there is a, um, a study which was done uh, apparently this year, which predicted based on, uh, you know, climate warming models that exactly what's happening over Germany and Belgium was going to occur because of the speed of crossing storms. We all know here in the West and the United States that if you have a slow moving hurricane, even if the winds are not very high, they will be extraordinarily damaging, not because of the wind, but because of the rain, the actual loading of the ground with enormous amounts of water from torrential rainfall. Well, that's dependent in major part on the velocity of the moving storm. 
slower moving storms dump more rain than faster storms. And the climate models are predicting that in future, next several years, next couple of decades, climate models say that the storm velocities will be slowing, which means the amount of rain, the amount of water from any given rain event will be larger. And that appears to be what we're seeing over Germany and Belgium tonight. Now, there's more rain being predicted for the next few days. And so other regions of Europe will be suffering apparently from the same problems. Uh, that's only one aspect of what we're going to be talking with our guest tonight, Dane Wigington, in terms of how is this happening in an environment where there's not only natural cycles involved, but there is strong evidence now of tinkering, strong evidence of efforts at what we term um, geoengineering, actually modifying terrestrial climate, terrestrial weather, based on artificial technologies, which can have very unexpected and disastrous collateral damage. We will get into all that as we get through the morning. Now, Europe is not the only place on Earth which is suffering from strange climate-borne weather. If you look at item number two, the Siberian wilderness has been plagued now for weeks by wildfires. This happens every summer, at least it's been happening every summer for as long as I can uh, remember. A couple, three years ago, there were some extraordinary events in addition to the wildfires over Siberia. There were periods, hours long, of extraordinary, um, I don't know what to call them. Maybe eclipses would be an appropriate term because the sun literally went out like it was during an eclipse and there were claims that it was due to the heavy particulates caused by the smoke from the fires. But there were other observers and witnesses who said that uh, there was some other agent involved. And uh, frankly, I don't believe that the uh, ultimate causes were ever really sorted out. It's kind of hard to find out what's going on in the former Soviet Union, certainly under the current government. And even residents in the Siberian communities were kept um, literally in the dark. Item number three, um, we have wildfires here at home. In fact, six weeks ahead of when the wildfire season is technically supposed to begin, which is when the summer is further along, there's been more desiccation, drying out of forest and you know ground cover, uh, providing tinder, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And convective, you know, thunderstorms, which of course naturally set off these fires in many instances. Um, we're seeing enormous uh, acreage now, I think over a million acres, um, something like 1,500 square miles is now burning. And as you're going to hear later on in the morning, uh, this may in fact be part of a deliberate program, which, well, we'll, we'll get into those details as we move through the conversation. So without further ado, let me in fact introduce my guest because the subject of the, our discussion this morning is climate and geoengineering. Dane Wigington is the lead researcher and administrator for the website geoengineeringwatch.org. He is also the executive producer for the groundbreaking climate documentary, The Dimming. Dane has a background in solar energy, was a former employee 
of the Bechtel Power Corporation and was a licensed contractor in California and Arizona. He has devoted the last 20 years to constant research on the issue of covert global climate engineering operations and has made strenuous and I would say almost 24-7 efforts to expose and to bring them to a halt. Uh, Dane's personal residence was featured as a cover article in the world's largest renewable energy magazine, Home Power. He owns a wildlife preserve next to Lake Shasta in Northern California and has appeared in numerous films and interviews in an effort to educate the public on the extremely dire environmental and health dangers that we face from the ongoing global climate intervention operations. And uh, without further ado, Dane, welcome back to The Other Side of Midnight. Continued willingness to address what's occurring in our skies and trying to point out the gravity and immediacy of the consequences of these operations if they're allowed to continue. I guess I should start off by saying that we have a turnover of audience. One of my radio friends used to compare it to uh, frogs in a wheelbarrow, (laughs) which I don't think was too kind to his audiences. But since we have a lot of new people, I think we need to begin kind of at square one. What is geoengineering and what are some of the indications that we have in terms of readily available uh, public records and evidence that in fact geoengineering efforts are ongoing even as we speak? We have so much data, so much indisputable proof from documentation to film footage to photographs of the nozzles mounted on the pylons of the aircraft, retrofit nozzles aimed right into the exhaust jet stream. Now we have proof on the dimming. And by the way, for your listeners, just to be clear, the dimming is it's not just about climate change. It's about specifically climate engineering operations. So I just want them to be clear on that so they know this is a unique documentary, the only one of its type to address this issue. And within that documentary, to fill in one of the blanks of your questions, Richard, we acquired at great difficulty and expense a NOAA flying lab, National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration flying lab, but top scientists in that aircraft tested what heavy aircraft were emitting at altitude and found exactly what we knew we would find, climate engineering particulates starting wait, wait, with wait, aluminum. Wait, 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 we're, we're getting far ahead. Go back to defining what is geoengineering. I'll get there. I'll get there, but let me finish this thought first, if you would. So it, it, as far as there being any speculation is this going on, um, that's beyond the speculative point at this, at this juncture. Climate engineering is man's attempt to manipulate Earth's life support systems, not for benevolent purposes. This is malevolent from top to bottom. This is about power and control. So we have labels put on what they're doing, like solar radiation management, stratospheric aerosol injection, cloud albedo enhancement. So the stated purpose is to block... Well, wait, wait, wait. You have to to define what these terms are. I'm trying to get there. The stated purpose is to block some of the sun's incoming thermal radiation, to slow down a runaway greenhouse effect on planet Earth. That's their stated purpose. But uh, the consequences of these operations are beyond catastrophic. Any temporary cooldowns they're able to achieve come at the cost of an even worse overall warming. Uh, are you uh, – let me, let me think of how to ask this properly – are you among the engineers and scientists who believe that we are in, in, engulfed in a natural global warming event 
And are these geoengineering efforts attempting to keep the planet cool? Or are you of the opinion that the uh, global warming folks are basically not correct and that the geo-warming, instead of actually trying to solve a problem, is trying to basically end a lot of life on Earth by pretending there's a problem? I would be in neither of those categories. Okay. In regard to what's happening on our planet, and I don't like to offer my opinion, I simply like to offer what data makes clear. Mathematically, statistically, the odds of the current Earth changes being in any way, shape, or form, any naturally occurring cycle, flies in the face of every single scientific premise we know. Mathematically and statistically, and this has been done by statisticians, the odds of the current Earth changes being anything but anthropogenic, i.e. man-made, is a statistical zero. So when people try to oh, make... Yeah, hang, on, hang on, hang on, hang on. Let's not leap over things. We've only had modern Western science and the ability to do climate modeling for the last 75, maybe 80 years tops. How can you say statistically that what's occurring in terms of global climate modifications is not a natural cycle when our experience base is nothing compared to the history of the solar system? Zero. Uh, I, I don't know about the solar system because we're not talking about that right now, but we have paleo data on planet Earth. And paleo data gives us a glimpse into the past going back a million years and more. So based on paleo data, which is more than accurate enough to make such a determination, these changes have never occurred at the speed or immensity that they're occurring right now. So again, paleo data makes this extraordinarily clear. And if we look at the argument that this is in any way, shape, or form natural, that's about like making the argument of finding a body in the street that's been beaten, stabbed, run over, shot, uh, poisoned, blown up, and then claiming it died of a heart attack. That argument doesn't hold much water. So, so you can't cut down the forest, poison the ocean, pave the planet, destroy the atmosphere, and not have a response. But these are all man-made activities that are not under the term geoengineering, they're the side effects of living in a high-tech civilization or trying to and being dependent on fossil fuels. But the question was, is this a man-made phenomenon? And it is. And, and every single form of human activity, every single form that affects the energy balance of the planet is indeed a form of geoengineering. It's an alteration of the Earth's former ah, energy balance. Okay. So you're saying, I just want to be very clear, that the extraordinarily high temperatures in southern Canada, the 116 degrees in Seattle the other day, the 134 degrees in Death Valley, which is an all-time record, only dealing with the North American continent, that all of these are a byproduct of a warming Earth, which is overwhelmingly due to man-made activities changing the reflectivity, absorptivity of sunlight coming from the sun, right? Absolutely. And as you commented earlier about the slower moving weather systems, there is also much more to that story. That is, in most cases, very directly a result of climate engineering operations. So in the case of the massive high pressure heat domes over North America, that's a direct result of ionosphere heater activity. We had FAA, 
Federal Aviation Administration at the start of the massive heat dome that cooked Canada, blocking flights around the HARP facility because of the transmissions they were emitting at that time. There are so many red flags, and you have the whole meteorological community trying to figure out why these stationary high-pressure domes continue to occur. When we look at the science behind ionosphere heaters, if your listeners don't know what that is, many have heard of HARP. The acronym means nothing. It's not meant to mean anything. High-frequency active rural research program means nothing. <laughs> so bottom line, these facilities transmit millions of watts of power into the ionosphere, cause an electrical chain reaction that superheats the ionosphere, which causes it to expand up and down. And that downward push is descending air, high-pressure heat dome, and that's how they can steer upper-level wind currents, and that's how they can make a storm go as slow as they want. And I cite Hurricane Harvey as an example. How in the world did our so-called weather forecasters, which are nothing but script readers at this point, and we know that. I'm not guessing. There's a federal gag order on all National Weather Service and all NOAA employees, and all their modeling is done by Raytheon, geoengineering contractor Raytheon. But they knew somehow, magically, seven days in advance, that Harvey was going to go where it went and sit there and spin for days. We recorded at geoengineeringwatch.org the transmitter energizing land-based transmitters along the Gulf Coast that energize and that are capable of moving an air mass that's saturated with these electrically conductive particles emitted by climate engineering aircraft, and thus they can repel that storm from coming on shore and hold it in place, and we recorded absolutely all of it. I, I this was a hurricane that sat over uh, the Bahamas for, what, two days, just spinning? No, no. That's Dorian, I think. This is Hurricane Harvey that sat in Texas. In oh, because I'm thinking of an earlier or rather later one. Yeah, this is Hurricane Harvey. We can look at uh, Hurricane Sandy. How in the world did these so-called weather forecasters against script readers, how do they know seven days in advance that Sandy was going to make an unprecedented 90-degree westerly turn exactly where it did? Because that's what was scheduled, and they have that much sway over the weather system. So in, in regard to upper-level wind currents, your listeners should think of the front of a car that has a fan belt on it, a pulley. If pulley's going some rotating clockwise and some rotating counterclockwise. And picture that fan belt rotating around all those. Now okay, picture the okay, fan belt. Okay, Dane, Dane, Dane. You're, you're, it's like drinking from a fire hose. Slow down. Take a deep breath. We've got three hours. That's why I love long-form radio. We have plenty of time. I want to go back to basics. The planet is warming. You say it's not because of nature, i.e. the sun, but because of man-made activities, uh, burning fuels, paving parking lots, building cities, creating heat islands, um, you know, vast, uh, uh, you know, agribusiness. And, and climate engineering. Well, well let's, let's leave the climate engineering aside for a minute because I want to start with the basic people living on planet Earth based on a carbon fuel foundation, coal, oil, natural gas, et cetera, et cetera. In, in your model is warming the planet abnormally correct that is uh many of the factors that hang are, on yes. let's, let's stick with one thing at a time i want to really sound stupid because i want to understand it myself okay so we start from a base that a natural planet without a high-tech civilization based on fossil fuels would be at at um you know constant equilibrium with incoming sunlight right there would be no global warming, right? There are long wave cyclical patterns, but the equilibrium that the planet achieved 
some 10,000 years ago that allowed modern civilizations to establish was based on paleo data. The most... When you say paleo data, data, you have to define paleo data. In other words, we're looking at at what? Sediment samples, tree rings, carbon dating. We, We have... There's many different forms of paleo data. That's an archaeological record of the planet's history. So, um, and like ice corings in Greenland and the Antarctic? Correct. We have ice cores that go back a million years that show atmospheric carbon counts. So the equilibrium that the planet achieved 10,000 years ago appears to be the most stable climate period in its history. Now, that doesn't mean that there wasn't still changes going on based on the past cyclical patterns until the Industrial Revolution started. Earth was cooling again slowly, very slowly. Industrial industrialized revolution changed all of that, completely blew that trend apart. So again, it, it's the, the amount of data that we have to show the human effect on the planet is absolutely immense. And it's it's interesting to me how many people accept that a little single engine Cessna airplane with a few flares on the wing that does weather modification, they accept that as being real and having an effect on the climate. But the military tanker that carries 100 tons of material in a single payload, they won't acknowledge that. Or they pretend that, gee, our governments would never do this without asking our permission, which is a very naive notion. Well, wait, wait, wait. hang on, hang on. You, you keep doing the fire hose thing. Slow down. Most people, single thought most, people, most people listening to us are clueless as to what we're talking about. They have no database. They have no foundation. And they do have an instinctive trust, or at least they did up until the last couple of decades, that, yes, government exists of the people, by the people, and for the people. So when you start attacking government as the enemy, you damn well have to have your facts in order. So let's do well, this. I have my facts in order. Hang on, I hang on. I, you know I'm, not, I'm not saying you don't. I'm just saying we need to lay it out one step at a time. So let's go back. The, the fossil record, everything from ice cores to tree rings, whatever, show that the current warming is so anomalous by all previous records going back a million or more years that the only thing you can logically attribute it to is the sudden rise of a modern industrial civilization all over the planet based on fossil fuels, right? And everything that that entails. Well, let's not get there yet. Follow me step by step. You can't put it. You can't put. Please follow me step by. No, no. Dane, I will. I will. I will end this conversation if you don't follow me step by step. Then I'll end it right now because you should show a little courtesy to your guests. I am. I'm telling you. I'm telling you. I'm not. I'm trying to get you to do it one step at a time. But you're not showing me the courtesy of letting me answer a question. No, it's not due to just burning fossil fuels. There's a lot of other things that that entails. You're getting too far ahead of where I'm going. Just relax. Take a deep breath, okay? So when did the establishment, we'll call it that, government, corporations, military, you know, maybe you want to use the term deep state. When did it first realize again, from evidence, that global warming due to fossil fuel utilization was both the, the, the savior of mankind and the ultimate killer of mankind. Do we know when that realization dawned? 
No, there's no specific date, Richard. I mean, this has been an ongoing process from before fossil fuels were even burned. Human race was cutting down forests. That's why I won't. No, 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 no. I'm, I'm, I'm saying when, when do we realize this could have a deleterious effect on the planet? Well, there's a hell of a lot of people that don't realize it even today, isn't there? That's not my point. When did those in power, in control, know? The world would I know that? Was it? A hundred years ago? Was it? Certainly they knew that long ago, at least that long ago. Okay. Do we have actual papers? Do we have published records? Do we have evidence of that? We certainly do. Okay. Item number two. What was the decision made and by whom that active artificial methods could be used to either, you know, change the trend curve, alleviate the warming due to fossil fuels, or at the very least, prolong the day by time for when other technologies would be developed, which could ultimately contravene the warming due to fossil fuels. Do we know that? We've had climate engineering patents for over 100 years. We have that list posted at Geoengineering Watch 2. About your question, there is nothing benevolent. They are not trying to do something benevolent to save humanity. How that do you know? How do you know? So you make these flat statements, and to me, science is always uncertain. You know, the biggest questions in science are not resolved because it's always you learn something more and then you change. So your certainty is part of people not listening to what you're saying. I want you to be a little humble. Tell me when do we know things how we know things and what the probabilities are if we don't have you know memos signed which we don't when did government start trying to intervene in changing the climate and the weather and you say it's for a negative you know diabolical reason i would say most people on the planet would vigorously disagree with you because that's not how they're built and how does that affect the truth exactly? Because we're supposed because to live. Because they're not in, built that way. Because we're supposed to be. Because truth? you asked me a question. Because we're supposed to be living in a democratic republic where the will of the citizenry ultimately prevails. Do you believe that's true? I said we're supposed to. Okay. So in regard to, let's look at our own government. Let's look at the film of U.S. former U.S. President Lyndon Johnson. U.S. president, supposedly democratically elected president that it happened to fall into place as soon as Kennedy was assassinated. But we have him on film and on the record in 1962 that any one of your listeners can see if they look at the first 30 seconds of my weekly broadcast of Global Alert News. Lyndon Johnson raving like a lunatic, stating we had the power to control the world's cloud cover then and that, quote, he who controls the weather controls the world. Does that sound like the statement of a benevolent, democratically elected leader? It depends on the reason you're going to try to control the weather. Remember, all weapons are also... Who would give him that right? Do you think any public would... Who would give any any individual country that right? You, You tell me any population that would allow a country to do that. Well, we allowed the thermonuclear weapons to be developed, didn't we? Did the population say, yeah, go ahead, do it, and bomb, bomb some innocent countries, bomb Hiroshima and Nagasaki, 100,000 innocent people in each case it had nothing to do with the war. The war was over. You, you show me one, one proof, shred of proof that the American public put their stamp of approval on that. I'll tell you what. Hold it there. We're at the bottom of the hour. 
My guest this morning is Dane Wigington, as you can tell. <clears throat> Dane has some very strongly held beliefs. This program is about revealing people's strongly held beliefs, as well as the evidence they have to support them. This is going to be a very interesting conversation this morning, because we're going to be getting into a lot of very controversial areas, such as if we once lived in a democratic republic, at what point did that go away? At what point are decisions being made going back decades or maybe even 100 years where a small cadre of elites have made unilateral decisions based on their knowledge or their perception of reality without the acknowledgement or the consent of the governed. You're on the other side of midnight. My name is Richard C. Hoagland. We're going to try to answer some of those questions when we return. continue to work on yourself, the tribe comes forward. They'll come right to your door. So just keep doing the work and it'll come together. Yep, as you increase your frequency, then you become more mature in your manifestation abilities and your other higher senses and gifts come online and then you have more power to make your world different and better and how you want it. And so that's why working on yourself is so important because then you're going to create the reality that you want rather than get sucked into the dystopia that's being created by the negative or shadow side. We're becoming uh, Renaissance men and women where we have multiple skill sets and we can dance from science into art and we can use both sides of our hemispheres and we can realize how much we have to really offer and uh, grow into and this was happening now this is where we're headed into a really beautiful place and so we can rejoice in that despite the fear despite what it looks like on the outside this is how disease transforms the mess in the chaos is necessary in order to see what you have before you so you can clean it up and just make decisions to change your reality. If you don't see it, how do you know it's there to even be changed? Or if you ignore it, right? Then how can you make the differences? You can't. So the mess is before us. Accept our mess. 
and now know that that's part of empowerment to be able to see and to be able to transform it. Hi, this is Amanda Vollmer and I was on the other side of the news and I really enjoyed my time discussing deeper topics and really getting to the heart of truth and the things that matter in this world and what we are doing and why we're here and and what we're heading towards. I really recommend listening in and and learning, uh, expanding your awareness and your knowledge. It's important and these are the times to do it and we're being asked to pay attention and to challenge ourselves and uh, think beyond beyond the box. And welcome back, everyone, to the other side of midnight for this Saturday, July 17th. 25 years ago tonight, TWA Flight 800, under very mysterious circumstances, crashed into Long Island Sound. And the controversy has existed for a quarter of a century. What really happened? Was it, uh, you know fumes igniting in the central fuel tank, which was the official story. Did the U.S. Navy accidentally shoot it down as part of an exercise being held simultaneously off the east coast of the United States? And because they couldn't admit that, was there an extraordinary cover-up? Did the FBI conduct a real investigation when they reassembled after bringing up pieces of that aircraft from the bottom of Long Island Sound and reassembling it in an aircraft hangar? Did they find evidence of an interior explosion in the fuel tank, or was it an external missile with shockwaves decapitating the front of the 747 in uh, milliseconds? I mean, these are questions that were live on television as we all watched for months and months and months, the investigations, the press conferences, with a rabid press eagerly looking for every scrap, every bit of data, and we still don't know. My question, in terms of the certitude with which some statements are being made, how much do we know and how much is there this band of uncertainty where we can legitimately have differences of interpretation because the evidence is still not clear. Dane, I want to come back to something you said, which I really, you know, my my automatic uh, revulsion is because you're making an absolutely profound statement with no evidentiary material to back it up. You say that those who are now engaged at a high level in government and industry to provide extraordinary geoengineering activities in an effort to uh, modify the climate and weather on the planet. You say categorically that they do not have a beneficent motive, that in fact they have a highly diabolical negative motive. In other words, what you're saying is their agenda is ultimately kill off billions of people on the planet 
when the ecosystem collapses because of artificial warming that are a direct effect of the geoengineering efforts they are proceeding with. What I need you, and I need a very honest answer, do you know this for a fact? Do we have memos? Do we have evidentiary material that their motives are diabolical or, as happens often in engineering and science, are we the, the victims of unintended consequences? That for the best of intentions, the worst things can happen and, in fact, in this area are happening and the folks who think they know everything, in fact, don't know quite enough to keep the planet from destroying itself. Go ahead. First of all, when you say I offer no proof, I wasn't given the chance to offer any proof. Next, as far as you at least... I'm talking about motivations. I'm not talking about the evidence that's going on. I'm talking about motivations. Can I finish my sentence? That you insinuate that I claim this is intended to kill billions of people. I never said that. Never. What I said was that these operations are being used for malevolent purposes. Do we have any historical proof of that? Absolutely. Starting with Project Popeye, Vietnam, Project Cirrus, Project Storm Fury. We have after 9-11, we have General Wesley Clark stating on the record, one week after 9-11, the list of Middle Eastern countries that were to be taken down, a list that clearly existed long before 9-11 happened. Every single one of those countries subsequently underwent a once-in-1,000-year drought. That's a statistical impossibility as being a coincidence. And we have the leaders of those countries, in the case of Iran, on the floor of the UN, stating emphatically that their reign was being cut off by NATO weather modification programs. People can watch it on film and on the record. We have volumes and volumes of proof. We know that the cutting off of precipitation to the U.S. West Coast is absolutely attributable almost 100% to climate engineering because we have satellite imagery to prove it. We can see them breaking up the storm tracks. It's, we're not guessing. We're not hypothesizing. We're not theorizing. They're cutting off the rain to the North American West Coast just as they did to Middle Eastern countries, just as they've done to African countries for decades, bringing them to their knees and then forcing those countries to allow U.S. occupation on their soil. That's the fact of the matter. We have leaders in African countries stating the same thing. They knew their rain was being cut off. They have sophisticated radar equipment. So again, we have congressional documents, 800 pages long. No, wait, wait. With- you, you've just conflated two things again. Please don't do that. The United States exists as 195, one of 195 nations on the planet, give or take, right? What did I conflate? Uh, I'm, I'm going to get there. I'll, I'll, okay, please right. do. After, the, after 9-11... We had an enemies list, you know, the uh, axis of evil, all of that. There were enemy countries on that list. Given that we live on a planet where warfare is almost stock and trade, you know, it's not peace is our profession. War is our profession. What I'm wondering is, are you equating weather engineering, geoengineering, climate engineering as something special or as another uh, you know, item in the toolkit for waging war against our enemies. Oh, I don't, I don't know understand the question, Richard. I never said anything was this or that. It's not this or that. It's all of the above. Well, I, all right. Let me, let me, let me put it to you this way: Which is better? You know, preventing rain from 
you know, occurring in a certain part of the globe so we can move in and delegitimize the governments and take control or bombing the hell out of them and killing 100,000, 200,000 people. Well, to start with, it would be nice if the countries involved had anything whatsoever to do with 9-11, which we now know was not true. That's a separate so, question. I'm talking about motivations of a deep state with war as their profession because it's power, it's money, it's control, it's all the horrible things that we all agree, certainly you and I agree, are things that human beings should not be doing to each other. But how is that different on a scale of one to 10 than carpet bombing, let's say Tokyo after World, uh, during World War II? Who said it was different? Ah, okay, kill, okay. Kill someone with a knife or you, or you starve them to death. Okay, the difference? okay, mean, okay. Is either one right? So we're basically talking about geoengineering as a weapon of war, right? Haven't I made that clear from the beginning? Uh, well, because now you've switched gears. Here's the conflation. You said that the same technologies are being deployed against the Western states of the United States of America, which means this deep state is at war with its own citizens if it's the U.S. deep state we're talking about in control of this technology. Why the hell would we be attacking our own citizens in this insidious fashion? Well, first of all, you make it sound like I have some sort of contradiction in what I've stated, and I would disagree with that. There's no contradiction. I never insinuated that the U.S. population was not a target. They are a target. They're an increasing liability to those in power. The planet cannot support populations now. Those in power know it. And no, how, wait, 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 wait. Now, you, now you've escalated to another level. I want to try to answer the question. I want to do this step by step. So... But you asked me why I was trying to answer why, Richard, but you won't let me answer the question. You won't let me finish the sentence. That is why. That is why. Because the U.S. population is a liability now. I would argue the biggest liability to the global power structure because they're largely armed. So right now, they are every bit as much a liability as the Middle Eastern countries that have resources that our government wanted and eventually took. The United States currently has a population of something like 330 million people, Right. In that range. Okay. China has over a billion. If we're talking about human, and they are desperately seeking to attain a middle-class lifestyle, they burn coal at such a rate that you can't see your hand in front of your face in some major cities, including Beijing. Why are the Chinese not bigger enemies to a sustainable planet than domestic U.S. citizens? Why would a deep state U.S. government, or is it transnational? Is this a transnational secret group which basically views all human beings as enemies and they're simply tackling them one by one by one? That seems a lot of conflation in your questioning as well. It's hard to, it's hard to have the time to answer all those questions. But bottom line, with climate engineering, and CB19. There is absolutely positively global cooperation in regard to climate engineering. We have, again, Senate documents, one 800 pages long that outlines this global cooperation between otherwise adversarial nations. We have it posted. We are the ones that found it on the NASA archives. So there's absolutely global cooperation in regard to resources. The United States is 5%. I'm, I'm sure you know this, Richard. 5% of the global population. We use 25% of the world's resources. China, a lot of that pollution they make is to send us the stuff that we use and then throw away. So again, um, there's more than enough blame to go around. And the bottom line is the planet cannot support 
the current paradigm any longer. That's a mathematical statistical fact. When you say the current paradigm, you mean a high-tech civilization based on fossil fuels? A civilization whose philosophy is loot, pillage, plunder, and pollute until there's nothing left, and then use the weather as a weapon on top of that. Yes, that's civilization, correct. But the energy base is a critical part of that equation, right? Obviously, you couldn't do any of the above without it, but that doesn't mean it's it didn't start happening before hydrocarbon came onto the scene. It did. It was. There was massive defoliation before hydrocarbon even appeared. Read some of Henry David Thoreau's writings. You know, he saw it. He saw it very clearly. Okay, so you're saying that this group, and you're saying it's transnational, which I find fascinating because that would mean that all the surface, mainstream, geopolitical machinations are, are a farce. They're nonsensical. They're basically a kabuki theater. There's really a sub-level cooperation. And the enemy is not individual nations, but the enemy is humanity itself for a self-selected group that see most human beings. What was it Kissinger called us? The useless eaters in one, one document somewhere? You're putting a lot of words in my mouth. I'm saying that you have what amounts to global mafia families, and they all work together to a certain degree. Perhaps at some point they'll start to infight. That would be in our favor. But the bottom line is you cannot climate engineer over your own country without affecting the entire world. Thus, the global cooperation was necessary. We have Senate documents to prove it. I'm not offering my opinion. I'm offering proof. I'm asking people to look at that proof. It's all we've ever asked for at geoengineeringwatch.org. Okay. So this began, you say, about 100 years ago, right? Uh, what I told you was we have patents going back 100 years. We know climate engineering was deployed at scale immediately after World War II. We, have, we found on the military archives the film footage of B-17 bombers taken from an adjacent bomber, shutting off their dispersion in midair as if it was cut with a knife. That means... That was not, quote, condensation. They would have had to have been beta testing during World War II, and now that's proof that they were. We have that film. It's on our documentary, The Dimming. So clearly, these aircraft were being used for atmospheric experimentation. The film footage we have is absolutely inarguable. Well, from the reading I have done in the literature, the awareness of global uh, climate problems based on the hydrocarbon cycle uh, began at about the same time frame. So if there were tests being done, aerosol release, that kind of thing, from B-17s, B-29s, that kind of fits into that time frame, right? Um, there, there was scientific recognition of the buildup, the coming buildup of greenhouse gases on the planet going back into the 1800s. Okay, you said something a moment ago which I found very intriguing. You said that the current crisis on the West Coast, the extraordinary temperatures, the you know resistant high over the northern Pacific, which prevents rain from reaching the coast, all that, you said it was part of an attack against U.S. citizens. And I don't know whether we got to what the, what the bottom line is. What's the ultimate objective? Again, I never use the word attack, although that's what it amounts to. And going back to the recognition of the planetary warming, there was a, in 1896, Arthenius, 
presented a transcript of that recognition. So it goes back to the 1800s. In regard to the West Coast, I have never, ever offered a definitive conclusion as to the agendas and the objectives being carried out, although we think we know many. What we have stated on the record, and we'll state emphatically now, the fact that climate engineering is the key factor that is cutting off the precipitation is absolutely inarguable. So we can speculate about the various agendas and objectives, but the fact that climate engineering is core to the issue is absolutely inarguable. I challenge people to look at the satellite imagery we have. It is so far beyond shocking. You don't need to know anything about meteorology to recognize the horrific nature of what's occurring off the U.S. West Coast. So someone is preventing rain from reaching the West Coast, they've established through these technologies of HARP and I presume cloud seeding, um, the stationary high. They are able to control the jet streams, both in terms of direction and maybe even velocity. Is that true? Okay, I'll go back to the fan belt analogy that I, I was trying to complete earlier. The high pressure domes in the northern hemisphere spin clockwise that spins moisture and upper level winds clockwise around that dome the low pressure zone spins counterclockwise so they can literally and this is it if your listeners search geoengineering is creating freeze fry extremes they will find very intricate detail on the process the climate engineers are using to spin moisture clockwise around the west coast back down toward the Gulf and East Coast where pressure zone spins that moisture back up the East Coast. And with that moisture and chemical ice nucleation for weather modification, that's the name of patented processes for seeding clouds with chemical ice nucleating elements, they can create a cold layer of air that descends to the surface, cool surface temperatures. And by doing so, they have made the eastern half of the U.S. lower 48 the most populated region in the U.S. This is part of what climate engineering is being used for, to mask the true severity of planetary meltdown from populations until the last possible moment to fuel the division and confusion. So for nine years running, this is straight from NASA departure from normal temperature data, the, the most anomalously less warm region in the entire world for nine years running is the eastern half of the U.S. lower 48. So in an era of social media, when the temperature hit 116 in Seattle, everybody who has relatives or friends or, you know, Facebook friends on, on the East Coast knew that instantly, you know, in microseconds. When they watched streets buckling because of the high temperatures or bridges not being able to be lowered over rivers and canals. So why does it behoove the controllers, we'll call them that for a minute, to starve the west of water? provide beneficent conditions on the East Coast when it's one country and everybody's talking to each other and we're talking about a massive national infrastructure project for the entire country. In other words, how can you segregate populations in the country without the game being given away anyway? First of all, those in power can demo buildings in front of the whole world and deny it. And people accept that, like Building 7 of the World Trade Center, never got hit by anything, fell in free fall speed. Uh, a five-year-old could figure out, should be able to figure out that that building was brought down, but the American public doesn't seem to be able to figure it out. Two, I never implied that the drenching of the East Coast was in any way benevolent either. That is also wiping out crops and wiping out infrastructure. But what's key in both cases, Richard, is all of it can be blamed on nature. 
It's just nature behaving poorly. And the population wants to believe that because they certainly, because of epidemic Stockholm syndrome, they refuse to believe that their government is anything less than some benevolent father figure when in reality it's state-sponsored mafia. So bottom line, when you destroy food supplies, you're able to much more easily control populations. They're worried about their next bite of food. They can't focus on the wider horizon. And two, when you're able to constantly cool down the most populated portion of the U.S., it's very easy to keep the so-called debate going as to the state of the planet. We have people on the planet right now that think global cooling is occurring, and that's part of the reason how. When you have zero degrees in Dallas, Texas, that's from chemical ice nucleation. You know the event that just happened, right, Richard? You saw what happened in Texas, right? You mean when the, when the grid went out and the ice storm and 700 people or more died? Correct. So you had, at the same time that you had zero degrees in Dallas, Texas, at the same latitude in Florida, it was 85 degrees. At the same time it was zero degrees in Dallas, Texas, it was 33 degrees warmer at the North Pole. A thousand plus feet above that low surface level of cool in Dallas, Texas, the temperatures would escalate 30, perhaps 40 degrees. We're talking to pilots about exactly that. This is a cold, dense layer of air that comes from ice nucleating cloud moisture. It's the same as the freezer you see in your market. When it's 80 degrees in your market, but you have an open freezer in front of you, no top on it at all, but that cold, dense air sits in that, that basin and keeps everything frozen. And that's how they're able to accomplish this, especially over flatter topography. Denver, Colorado is another site that's commonly used for this type of cool down. We have dimmer three times in the last three years, going from record high of 80 plus degrees to single digits in 24 hours because Denver's in a basin. Okay, hang on, hang on. Let's go back to Texas. That was a huge national event. It showed incredible problems with government, infrastructure, uh, politics, uh, factions, money, taxes, control, all kinds of huge holes in the system. Why... And I, I, I take it you're saying this was a deliberate geoengineering event. Why was it carried out? What's the long-term benefit for those in control to show the citizenry that everything around them does not work? It needs fixing. Someone needs to rise to the occasion and start fixing problems, ultimately political problems. I would argue with you that the election of any particular individual into any political office, including the White House, is nothing more than smoke and mirrors. But too. that's not what citizens believe. They believe their votes count. But are we debating what they believe or what happened? What happened was, in regard to that event, it is so far in excess of the laws of meteorology, of physics, that record warm Gulf of Mexico moisture could suddenly deep freeze. And we've tested this material. Let's keep that in mind. We've tested frozen material from these ice nucleated events and found exactly what we knew we would find. Ice nucleating elements, including surfactants. That's why this material is so slick, because it's full of surfactants. That's part of the ice nucleating material. So whatever the various agendas were, we could speculate and theorize. Well, wait, wait, wait. Let me stop you there. Because in order for you in a court of law to prove there's a crime, you have to have means, motive, and opportunity. All right? Oh, we've oh, got, we got, we have the means. We have the opportunity. What's the motive? This is what I don't get. What's the motive? Because these people also live on this planet. They have families. If the planet dies, 
they'll die with it. Okay, let me answer that in two parts. First, what you're implying is if you find a, a body in the street with a bullet in its head, unless you can prove a motive, there was no crime. And I would argue with that. That's simply not true. Two, how many other things have those in power done that are literally putting the entire planet in peril? We have Fukushima that by itself may be an extinction-level event if other factors don't do the job first, which I would argue is going to be the case. So we have Fukushima, no known technology to fix it, no end in sight. There's 440 more new plants on the planet right now. We're building 60 more. We're building 60 more new plants right now. And Chernobyl's not done either, by the way. For those who think Chernobyl's all fixed, no, not the case. How many things have those in power done? Let's look at the detonation of nuclear bombs in Utah. I mean, excuse me, in Nevada. The detonation of nuclear bombs in Nevada is now based on peer-reviewed science study attributed to the deaths of at least a half a million Americans downstream. How many Americans know that? How many Americans know that their government, even as of 1977, I cite these facts because I know them inside out. As of 1977, our government had conducted 239 open-air biological tests on innocent civilian populations without their knowledge or their consent. Climate engineering elements are incredibly toxic. No disclosure, no environmental impact review, no one was asked permission. Is that not a crime against humanity? Well, a lot of this can be attributed to absolute arrogance and ignorance. Like, remember the uh, uh, video we have, actually it's film, of soldiers back during some of the atomic tests of Atomic Annie, you know, literally dusting off each other with brooms after the detonation of the uh, tactical nuclear weapon that was lobbed by a, by a mortar shell. Um, so ignorance and stupidity is a huge factor. What I don't understand is, given that we now live in an era of computer modeling where you can really understand the details of what can happen to a much finer degree than any previous era on the planet, the, the, the controllers are still doing very dumb things that will, if we extrapolate out the curves, wind up killing most of humanity at some point on Earth. Why would they be doing that unless we're missing an important part of the puzzle. First of all, although, although there are many people in the chain that are ignorant, as you state, those at the top are certainly not ignorant. The man, the pilot in Vietnam, who was spraying Agent Orange on his comrade on the ground, he wasn't told, hey, this is going to kill your pal on the ground. So there was ignorant on his case, although he, he should have known. Those at the top know exactly what they're doing. I'll tell you they what, we're, exactly. we're, we're at the top of the hour. Let's, this is too important. Let's not truncate it, or we'll pick this up when we come back. My guest this morning is Dane Wigington. He's the head of uh, uh, geoengineering research. He's been doing this for a couple of decades, if not longer. He does have facts on his side where I'm questioning his agendas. What are motivations? Given, and maybe we're not, Maybe we're not all in the same basket. You're on the other side of midnight. My name is Richard C. Hoagland. We shall return. Richard C. Hoagland here. I'd like you to support The Other Side of Midnight by subscribing to Club 19.5 and thereby joining our unique and growing radio community. Tune in to 
listen to our fascinating guests, pioneers on the out-there edge of science and thought, and gain access to exclusive member benefits. To do this, just visit our website, theothersideofmidnight.com, and click on the Join Club 19.5 link in the navigator bar or in the left-hand column. Membership costs $19.95 per month. That's 33 tetrahedral cents a day. I mean, it's the price of a couple of cups of coffee. As a Club 19.5 member, you'll gain access to this show and literally hundreds of previous shows on hundreds of different topics going back to 2015 that we have done. Our archive shows have the commercials removed, and you'll be able to download the MP3 files directly from the 19 Point Archives if you prefer. To enhance your listener experience, a new The Other Side of Midnight podcast is being added to all show pages, which will allow you to instantly search the show archives of Radio with Pictures, thus easily accessing the corresponding show. Plus, you can just as quickly access the entire podcast list when you're on the go. I want to personally thank all our Club 19.5 members because without your continuing support, this show would literally not be on the air. Please continue supporting the broadcast to provide you with the most interesting conversation available, talk radio at the cutting edge of science and thought, and if you like what you hear on the other side of midnight, tell your friends and continue growing the show by having them subscribe to Club 19.5 as well, because we need all of you. When I say we need you, you're the reason we're doing all this. Oakland, over and out. And welcome back, everyone, to The Other Side of Midnight. For this Saturday night, June, I'm sorry, July, <laughs> I'm go, July 17th, 2021. My guest this morning is Dane Wigington, who is uh, one of the few experts that I know has his ducks in a row. He does have data. Where I guess I'm really asking questions is the motivation. Because, again, going back, Dane, to Texas, what was the motivation of causing a mini blizzard absolutely destroying the power grid, killing over 700 people, and that's probably an undercount? And then in response, the state of Texas, the legislative authority, the governor, whatever, instead of seeing the incredible holes in their infrastructure, they've done nothing to withstand the next time, assuming that in their minds it's all natural and it could happen again because these things are happening with increasing frequency. They've done nothing to fix the grid. So if it happened again, either because of natural forces or because someone does it to them, they will be as powerless the next time as they are the first. And none of this makes sense. I think I got the gist of it. What is the reason? Why would it make sense? The motivation, because you said before that I'm, I'm, I'm claiming that if you don't have a motive and you have a body, the murder didn't happen. No, you can't assign the murder to a specific individual unless you have a logical chain of evidence up to and including evidence of motivation. 
it's far more likely that someone in domestic, you know, family situations where there's a murder, that someone in the family did it than a total stranger at random just because they wanted to kill somebody. So motivation is an important part of forensic analysis of establishing a crime and who did it. What is the motivation for shooting ourselves repeatedly in the head unless the guys, the controllers, the folks in the deep state have some secret place to go when the planet ultimately collapses. Let me ask you this, Richard. Does a cancer intend to kill its host? Is that yeah, the but cancers the are not intelligent. We're supposed to be intelligent. Your mafia families, they're not brainless. They have motivations. They have resources. They have planning. They have strategies. They have you know, cost-benefit analysis. They're not cancer. Cancer is mindless. This is mindful. So what's the motivation? If you let me finish, I'll continue. Was it mindful for them to detonate more than 2,000 nuclear bombs on planet Earth that contaminated every single living thing on the planet? Because back Was when they mindful? did it, they didn't know what the hell they were doing. They were incredibly arrogant and ignorant. This is now. You, that was then. You don't think after the, the detonation of the nuclear bombs that they knew the radiation was a factor? I'm no. sorry. I, can't, I, I don't buy that. So – Okay, let's, let's look No, at because they had soldiers standing out there, GIs, grunts with brooms, rushing each other off after a nuclear test a half a mile away. So you think that that's just Ignorant. oversight in their part? Because they really love our troops that much. That's why they use depleted uranium ammunition in the Balkans, in the Middle East, depleted uranium, uranium-238, which they know exactly how harmful it is. I've had the U.S. military spokesman for this. Dennis Kine, I paid for him to come to Northern California and speak twice at how much the military absolutely – Wait, wait. Who, who is Dennis Kine? He, he's the global spokesman for depleted uranium ammunition and its use in the U.S. military, and they know exactly how toxic it was. They didn't say anything to our soldiers. They let them uh, live, camp, breathe in, in battlegrounds that were fully contaminated with depleted uranium. We have right now in the Middle East areas that are completely contaminated forever. Same with the Balkans, the radioactive half-life of four and a half billion years. They know exactly how toxic it is. I'm sorry, I don't share your opinion that the U.S. military is benevolent and they just make some honest mistakes. So now let's answer your question more directly. In the case of aluminum, one, we know who is spraying it because we have film footage of KC-10s, KC-135, C-17 Globemasters, nozzles visible turning on and off. We've atmospherically tested. We know they're dispersing aluminum. We have period no, Wait, 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 wait. You, you made another couple of leaks. I got to finish. We, okay, we're, we're, going, we're, gotta going, finish. we're going back to spray aircraft. You yeah. brought in aluminum out of nowhere. You're, saying, you're, you're saying that in the, in the spray patterns, the so-called chemtrails, there is a high percentage, as you have measured, of distributed dispersed aluminum, right? I am, and I'd like to okay. finish the whole thought so it makes sense. So – Back to your feeling that it's just benevolent government making honest mistakes. I absolutely see no evidence to corroborate such a conclusion. So we know we have, we have peer-reviewed study to prove that bioavailable, bioaccumulative aluminum is the core causal factor for neurological diseases like Alzheimer's and dementia. Without aluminum in the equation, there would be no Alzheimer's or dementia in a normal human lifespan of 100 years. Peer-reviewed study, we know this. We know aluminum is a primary element in climate engineering patents. We know heavy aircraft are emitting aluminum. Do they not know? 
did they forget to read the studies? I'm sorry, but I really don't think that's true. And I ask your listeners to see what my exchange with the world's most recognized geoengineer, Dr. David Keith, where I was banned from the conferences after that point. So I'm sorry, I don't think it's all innocence when they banned me from the conference. When I asked him after a three and a half hour symposium and his proposal of putting 10 to 20 million tons of aluminum nanoparticulates into the atmosphere annually, as part of solar radiation management. And I asked Dr. Keith, have you done toxicological studies? And his first answer was paraphrased, well, there's a lot of junk up there, a little more won't hurt. That's more or less what he said. And I, before they cut me off, I asked him a question again, have you done toxicological studies on aluminum? Here's his answer, no. Could terrible things happen tomorrow? We don't know. He can't tell me the world's most recognized geoengineer doesn't know that putting bioavailable aluminum, which is harmful to all living organisms, without exception, everything, that he doesn't know that when peer-reviewed studies exists about that, and then they banned me from the conference. I simply caught him with his pants down, and, and he put his foot in his mouth. And bottom line, uh, there, there is far too much data, Richard, going back far too far, just like the uh, 239 open-air biological tests that we know the U.S. military conducted on innocent U.S. civilians as of 1977. How many more have they done since? I guess the question I'm coming to is, if and let's just restrict it to the United States so we can keep it simple. Politically, you have policymakers, you then have scientific teams, you have research laboratories, you have dedicated facilities, both in you know weaponsology and civilian uh, technologies, but ultimately policymakers who are elected by people in in you know biannual elections. They make the decisions. They are not scientists. They do not read scientific papers. They do not attend conferences. They don't have time. They're too busy desperately raising money from dawn to dusk to get reelected. So they depend on their staff and other experts to funnel to them papers on which they base their decisions. If there's any anyone to blame i would say the blame goes to a pyramid where those people at the top either by design or through absolute ignorance and arrogance are kept from data which they would need to make informed decisions and they trust their technical people to tell them the truth and that is a major flaw in the process because if you have hidden agendas if you have money coming into a politician, he's going to follow basically where his money is coming from and not ask too many questions. Well, I would first and foremost have to say we'll have to agree to disagree on your view that politicians are all just good, honest fellows doing their best. They I just didn't don't know say much. that. I said no, they're okay. busy from dawn to dusk raising money in a system where it's not automatic that each candidate gets a certain amount of money to run for office. They have to basically hang their hat out and ask for contributions, and with contributions come strings, particularly since most of the major campaign funds do not come from ordinary citizens. They come from corporations, from special interests, from people with agendas. Okay, if you can let me let me string a couple thoughts together, it'll make more sense if you can let me finish. First of all, again, I'll back up and state this. Governments all over the world know full well the planet can no longer support the global population. We've lost if you go, let's go back to agendas and motives. 
We've locked 80 to 90% of Earth's insect population. By the way, a fact that geoengineeringwatch.org was the first major source to publicize about nine years before anybody else did. Global pelagic fish populations down over 90%. The food fish crops are crashing all, crashing all over the globe. Plankton populations down 60 to 70%. Mass methane expulsion happening in the Arctic. Crops are failing everywhere. They know they can't support their populations. As far as these so-called well-meaning politicians, let's start with Congressman Doug LaMalfa in Northern California that I know personally had about a half a dozen meetings with him, with his staff. His staff used to call me at home on the weekends to express their angst at the climate engineering operations. And they got told from above to shut up. And that's exactly what they did, to the degree that they actually sent their staff to geoengineeringwatch.org public awareness events, massive events, which we pay for out-of-pocket, free materials. They sent their staff to those events to have them hide by the doors and say, Dane's lying. No facts, no proof. They knew exactly what's going on. Let's move it up to a higher level. Governor Gavin Newsom had private meeting with Governor Newsom at the Capitol with his top eight, presented irrefutable climate engineering data. They didn't refute it because they couldn't refute it. Have they done anything? Exactly zero. I've spoken to the California Energy Commission who recognized and acknowledged that they were losing 20 to 40% of California's rain. Let's tie this into everything else we talked about. California Energy Commission in Sacramento recognized they were losing 20 to 40% of the state's rainfall from, quote, particulates of unknown origin. I met and supplied data to their top scientists at that meeting. They voted for and approved the purchase of a $200,000 spectrometer to determine the chemical composition and origin of these particulates. And keep in mind, California Air Resources Board studies everything over California. They know that aluminum is not migrating across the ocean. Only mercury does. They have a good idea of what's in the sky, but they didn't know what this was. That, that meter was purchased and never seen from again. I know this system inside out. I've had meetings with those near the top. The whole system is an absolute cancer. I don't care what political party is. It's a cancer, and they know who's paying them. That's the bottom line, Richard. Those who print the money are keeping states afloat. They're keeping the stock market afloat. They're trying to pacify the population until the last possible moment. That's what they're doing. Again, how can you how, – how, how could you be doing this if you have to live on planet Earth? Because if, if they privately know what you're saying is true, that there's an end point, there's a limit, there's a, you know, where we crash into the wall, and they're just trying to buy time, where is their lifeboat? How do they escape when the planet collapses ecologically, climatologically, when mobs are rioting in the street, when there's not enough food in supermarkets, when people resort to what they had to do in Texas back in the uh, winter? How do they escape? Well, you're asking me a question, the totality of which I can't know all the answers, but I do know this. I know they're stocking up the dumbs, the deep underground military braces, and we know because we spoke to some of the freeze-dried food manufacturers that were off retail for a very extended time because they were supplying these bases. We spoke to them. So, again, they may think they can hide underground for an extended period of time, but in fact, we're on track for what is scientifically termed Venus syndrome. We've lost already, another statistic, we've lost 70% of Earth's wildlife populations, 70% in the last 40 years at the current rate of loss, if the rate doesn't accelerate, and it is accelerating, we face zero hour for no functional wildlife populations left on our planet by 2026. Nobody's guessing that we're going to hit, we are going to hit the wall. If you have a car going 100 miles an hour and it's 10 feet from impact, you can say definitively, you can put the brakes on as hard as you want. It's going to hit. 
and that's exactly where we're at, and they know it. And I'm, I'm not stating that they're going to make it out or they have some way out of this. I'm simply stating that they have allowed and in many ways facilitated industrialized, militarized civilization to paint us into a very, very dark corner. And if I can use the analogy of a cancer again, does a cancer intend to kill its host? No, but it tends to proliferate at any cost. Consequences aren't a consideration. Now, let's look at the psychological profile of those in power. Those at the very top, and this is straight from the psychoanalysis manual. There's a common thread to their various mental deficiencies, and that is this, a near, listen carefully, this is straight from the manual, a near total lack of comprehension as to the consequences of their actions, even to themselves. So you're applying this uniformly to all politicians, all time, everywhere. Didn't say that, but I said if they make it very far in the system, they're going to be under that thumb. Who was the last person that wasn't? Paul Wellstone. What happened to Paul Wellstone? His whole family was taken out with him three days before a critical vote on which he was the critical voter. That's how the system deals with those who don't want to conform. So the bottom line is, or there's like the, the Doug LaMalfa situation, Congressman Doug LaMalfa, which I just mentioned. I mean, he bought, he's bought, sold, and paid for. And, and I've, I, I, these are personal exchanges, Gavin Newsom as well. Um, I'm, I'm dealing with people in D.C. right now. We have contacts in government levels, high in government levels in the U.S. and Canada, and um, they – further recognize the cancerous nature of the whole system at this point. Former Canadian Minister of Defense, personal contact. We have contacts with the current Minister of Defense. We, we have a lot of contacts, Richard. And the bottom line is the situation now is much like a cancer in that it has been so compartmentalized in so many ways. And those at the top, top, I would argue, have underestimated their ability to control the planetary life support systems. And now uh, the consequences of their trajectory are manifesting. So we're, back to, so we're back to the arrogance function. In many ways, yes. Okay. So basically you're talking about a bunch of people who are so arrogant and so insulated that their arrogance is going to kill all of us. I believe that to be a part of the equation, yes. Let's talk about the forest fires, because as I deliberately read at the top of the show, there are these extraordinary fires in Siberia in Putin's backyard. There are fires in the West that are weeks and weeks ahead of schedule. There has been some very bizarre uh, utterings coming out of Washington. There is one gal. Uh, she's a congressperson. She's, a, I think, from Georgia. <clears throat> Her name is Marjorie Taylor Greene. And a few weeks ago, she made the most extraordinary statements, which looked at in the light of your evidence, take on a totally different light. She said that the fires in California were being started by space lasers. Talk about igniting forest fires deliberately as part of this geoengineering agenda. I'm not going to enter that conversation because we've never made such a claim and I never will. Any idiot with a match can start a fire. The bottom line is – No, no, no. I didn't, be- I didn't say you said it was – I'm saying she made the claim, raising the idea that the fires were set deliberately. Forget how. But let's talk about the fires being set deliberately regardless of how you do it. What would be the geoengineering objective of setting – millions of acres ablaze 
can't answer that because I've never made again I, I'm not going to enter an equation that I've we've never tried to hypothesize about what we have stated is this what has set the template for those fires to burn with such ferocity regardless of the source of ignition which is a completely separate subject so in the case of what has set the template for this climate engineering how we have bioavailable particulates in the rainfall we're not guessing we've done 70 lab tests in Northern California alone we have peer-reviewed study to prove that those particulates, starting with aluminum, kill soil microbiome, which in, its, in essence kills the soils. It affects root systems. We have peer-reviewed science study for that as well. It causes the roots to shut down nutrient uptake. So then roots are dying. Trees are dying from the roots up. They're not getting enough water. The water they do get is toxic. We have a disintegrating ozone layer. Climate engineering is the core causal factor for that as well. That's scorching the trees from the top down. We have an incendiary dust that's coating everything. Nanoparticulate aluminum is an incendiary, so is barium. So we have an ionized atmosphere now. It's much more electrically conductive, so you have much more dry light. Wait, wait, when you say incendiary, you mean if you have fine enough metals in particulate form and you provide oxygen, they burn? Absolutely. Okay. That's one of the primary demolition material. Is well, again, thermite. you're dealing with a lay audience that does not yeah, know understand. this. So. I understand. Yeah, for your audience, so they know a, a primary demolition material, which was found in the 9-11 wreckage, by the way, is thermite. Its, it's primary element is aluminum, burns at extraordinarily hot temperatures. And we have film footage of CAL FIRE officials saying we've never seen anything burn like this. It's burning in all directions at once. All of that is in our documentary, The Dimming. So in the case of the fires, again, source of ignition, separate issue. But those who claim the, the space laser beam hypothesis seem to know little to nothing about laser physics. When there's smoke in the air, laser anything doesn't work. And why would they need that? And one of the reasons people have given, Richard, for their um, theories, if you will, is they see standing trees next to a house burnt to the ground. Many, in many cases, the pictures they provide are redwood trees. Redwood trees are extraordinarily fire resistant. That's why they live so long. My entire home is surrounded with redwood trees that I planted on purpose because they are not a pitch-based tree. They can get burnt, but they don't burn. They don't explode. Very fire resistant. So I'm just stating a lot of people are jumping at a lot of conclusions, and unfortunately, those conclusions keep officials like Cal Fire officials whom I know. I know some of the top Cal Fire officials who know climate engineering is going on, but they're afraid to address it because they don't want to get tangled up in these types of narratives that are baseless. People claim they see, they see a tree burning on the inside, and that's proof to them that some sort of laser beam hit that tree. It it's, couldn't be further from the truth. I fought fires in the field firsthand, operating equipment, D6, which I've, I've operated for decades, frontline, neck deep in fires. I can't count how many trees I've seen burning on the inside because so many are rotted out on the inside from the reasons I mentioned. And when that core wood starts on fire, it's dead. And the Cambrian layer on the outside is alive, so they burn out from the inside. It's extraordinarily common. So when Cal Fire officials see these kind of claims being made, they don't want anything to do with it. And that keeps, unfortunately, the climate engineering issue from coming to light in those circles. So let me see if I have this straight. We've had uh, chemtrails spraying with aluminum particulates for what, the last 20-some years, give or take? 75 plus. On, on a big enough scale? Big, big enough, and I'm not saying in the lower latitudes, but we had a Stanford study from the 50s 
trying to decipher what this Arctic haze was, and they, oh, they okay, test, okay. detected aluminum in the Arctic. The first place they begin to climate engineer appears to be over the polar regions. Which is logical, given that that's the most sensitive temperature balance equation, heat balance place on the planet. You can well, tinker and fully, do something. Okay. We fully agree. We fully agree on that. All right. I'm, I, I'm talking about temperate latitudes. You're saying that because of the falling aluminum particulates, which have been raining down for decades, we'll use that term, when a fire gets started now, like in Northern California or in Southern Canada or in Oregon, because there's this amazing amount of microscopic aluminum, micron-sized aluminum particles, like a flare you would light at, you know, to, to warn cars at a roadside it burns with intense heat and a great deal of light that when a fire occurs now in these forests it's already been laden with an accelerant the particular aluminum so the forest fires now are burning much hotter much faster and performing things that they never used to do because there is an artificial accelerant all over the uh uh, forest. Is that correct? Only, only one factor. That is only one factor. We have all-time record low fuel moistures. We are in my location of Northern California, east side of Lake Shasta. We are 400 inches of rain, over 400 of inches of rain, rain short since 2007. We have again the ozone layer destroying the trees from the top down. So we have a lot of, of dead canopies. We have much more convection because we have much more heating. Convection helps feed the fire as well. We have dry periods, our summers now, instead of being three months long, are nine months long. We just dug a test hole in Northern California, again, an area that used to get 70 inches of rain a year. We dug a test hole 12 feet deep about five weeks ago. We were still in spring. Zero soil moisture, zero. The trees have nothing to live on. So it's all of these factors. It's not a this or that equation. It's a this and that and many other factors, all of it combining. And yet here in New Mexico, over the last several weeks, we've had intermittent rain every two or three days that kind of drizzles during the night. And by morning, it's sunny and then it gets cloudy. And in other words, it's kind of natural. And yet this has been a drought period, according to the you know official statistics that in the last year or so has changed because last year it didn't do this. This year it's doing this. But you can't erase those previous years of droughts. And in regard to the constant drizzle, which we now see in Northern California a lot, we know that there is an extraordinary amount of particulate matter in that constant uniform drizzle. Very easy to see in a puddled area moisture that's being seeded because it's a very rapid fire uniform drizzle and we test that that type of precipitation event so we're not guessing that type of precipitation event is full of climate engineering elements aluminum barium strontium polymer fibers raindrops should be varying in size not not a rapid uniform drizzle the rapid uniform drizzle is generally associated with chemical ice nucleating operations so what do we see with that we've tested snow off the side of mount shasta at the, it was the first snow of the season three years ago, I believe, or four, and it had not been below 30 degrees yet, the ambient temperature. The frozen material we tested was 15 degrees. Exactly how does that happen? 
It happens from chemical ice nucleation for weather modification. The chemical ice nucleation is a very profound science. Encourage people to search the engineering winter section on the homepage of geoengineeringwatch.org. We have lab tests, film footage of lab tests in those sections. A lot of static going on. I'm not sure what's happening there. Is that me or you? Um, I think it's here. Okay. So they can see a beaker of water freeze instantaneously with the addition of chemical ice nucleating elements. So again, we have the patents for these processes. We have film footage to prove it. And this is how you have the weather whiplash events, which are extraordinarily common now. We've had them in Northern California, literally 80 degrees one day, snow the next, 80 degrees the day after. That's not nature. I'll tell you what, hold it there. We're at the bottom of the hour. My guest this morning is Dane Wigington. We're talking about geoengineering. When we come back, I want to talk again about unintended consequences because, well, I'll I'll just say I want to pursue the unintended consequences because this is a very complex subject and motivations are the most of all. I frankly don't see how all these bright people get together and voluntarily commit suicide unless they don't know they're committing suicide. Is that possible? Stay tuned. You're on the other side of midnight. My name is Richard C. Hoagland. We shall return. Club 19.5 to get access to exclusive member benefits. Listen to past episodes anytime on any device. Search the archives of over 180 episodes. Membership costs $9.95 a month, $0.33 a day. Support the broadcaster to provide you with the most interesting conversation available. Talk radio at the cutting edge of science and thought. The other side of midnight.com. And welcome back, everyone. Saturday night on the other side of midnight, July 17th, 2021. My guest this morning is Dane Wigington, and we're discussing geoengineering, which, again, for those who might have forgotten the definition, it's the deliberate application of technologies, plural, which can include electromagnetic, chemical, uh, physiochemical, um, directed energy uh, systems, 
or something as simple as silver iodide spewn out of an aircraft to provide nucleation centers for raindrops and ice crystals. But the objective, that's the question. And again, I go back to the, to the problem, uh, uh, Dane, that you say that this is all malevolent. How can you, I mean, how, where's the evidence that it's all malevolent when if people are fed a, a set of data that says if you don't do anything, the planet is going to warm to a point where life is impossible, your natural inclination would be to, to do something. And so I would argue that the predominant number of people involved in this system think they're doing good. They do not have malevolent objectives. Maybe the folks at the very top know a lot more and have specific targets or, or target groups in mind that they would like to curtail or eliminate whatever, but that most people in the system basically believe what they are told and they're being told it's for a good reason and they do not have the wherewithal to question what they are told. Go ahead. Let me make sure I'm unmuted here. If I can weave a couple points together, I think this will make much more sense. First, let me back up to the example I gave earlier. Was the pilot in Vietnam that was spraying Agent Orange on the ground told, again, this is going to kill your pal eventually, and by the way, millions of civilians with it. Same thing with the depleted hang on, uranium hang on, situation. Hang on. Well, let me answer the question. He was told that by clearing, you know, clear cutting with chemical sprays, Agent Orange, it would it would prevent the uh, the Viet Cong from coming south, killing his buddies on the ground. It never occurred to him that it would have a collateral effect because people don't think that way. People are not scientists. People are not engineers. People are not logical. They basically trust experts or people that they believe in. They don't do their own homework. So I guarantee those pilots, unless they really dug into it, they did not know there was collateral damage that would affect them and their buddies on the ground. I'm not sure why we're arguing about that because that's exactly the point I was trying to make. So I, I'm not sure why oh, we're, I'm, we're, I'm glad we're, we're in agreement about that. That's, if I could have finished, that's what, exactly what I was trying to say. So bottom line is, in regard to those at the top and their, their motives, if you will, if we can back up to something you said earlier about you said you remember these fires in Siberia as far back as you could remember. That's actually statistically not true unless, unless you're talking about only back a few years because we no, know I'm, from I'm, – I'm, I'm talking from the history of the show, about five years, six years. Okay, that's about right, because we know from 2005 to 2015, a 10-year period, the fires increased 1,000%. That's a lot. So let's go back to the motive again. You could shut every single form of human activity. Let's look at this through the lens of those in power at the top. And again, I was already trying to make the point that the pilot in Vietnam didn't realize the consequences of what he was doing. He wasn't told. That's, that was my point. But in regard to those at the top, they know that you could shut every single form of human activity off right now, including climate engineering. And industrialized, militarized civilization is done. It's in its death throes right now, and mass human die-off is here. Nothing will stop that at this point. So look at it through their lens. They feel they have the right to determine who lives and who dies at this point. We look at the methane scenario alone, and what they've done, and this is where 
is very clearly malevolent when they have not informed the public of anything they are doing and the consequences of what they're doing and their attempt, one of the motives, and clearly this is one of the motives, to mask, as I stated earlier, mask the severity and immediacy of what's unfolding from populations until the last possible moment. Climate engineering's attempt to hide what's happening in the polar regions has actually further fueled the overall fire. It's altered upper-level wind currents. That's altered ocean currents. We have warm water pumping into regions of the Arctic where it should not be. It's thawing formerly frozen methane deposits on the seabed. Are there. we talking about the fires in Siberia now? Again, I, as I tried to explain how fast things are changing and the motive of those in power, what they know, and how this fits into motive, okay? So when we have methane exploding... It, from the seafloor and the tundra, encourage your listeners to search Siberian methane craters. They will be shocked at the images. Methane, and this is where the science community is betraying the human race as well, when they lie about things like methane, and they are lying. They don't include methane in any of their climate modeling. Largest scientific panel in human history, the IPCC, Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change. I know these facts inside out and upside down. Nothing about methane in their modeling, and methane is the single biggest factor that will turn this planet into Venus in the very in the very near term if these processes continue. So those in power know methane is exploding from formerly frozen deposits in the tundra and the seabed. It's migrating into the atmosphere. It's covering the planet like a layer of glass right now. These changes are happening statistically, mathematically, hundreds of times faster than at any point in Earth's history. So they know that mass die-off is here. That's a statistical fact, sort of some intervention from some source that we don't yet know of. So if you look through their lens, they feel, it would appear, that they have the right to thin the herd in any way they see fit. And I would argue you could wrap the CB-19 scenario into that picture. Okay, you keep making references to CB-19. Obviously, you're talking COVID-19. How does that fit into this big picture and please provide evidence. When we know that we have eugenicists like Bill Gates and Anthony Fauci that were clearly involved with the creation of that pathogen, how do we know? We, show, we stated this at geoengineeringwatch.org from day one. We, had, we have peer-reviewed study from the journal Nature from 2015 proving conclusively that NIH and National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases, Fauci's group, funded the gain-of-function engineering in this virus in 2015. We have a peer-reviewed study to prove it. We have Anthony Fauci standing on a podium. Any of your listeners can search that online and see him. Standing on a podium, 2017, on film, on the record, stating there will be a surprise pandemic during this presidency. We have Bill Gates stating if they get the vaccine thing just right, they can reduce global populations by at least 10 or 15%. If you look at his vaccine programs in Africa and India, both of whom are suing Mr. Gates over the carnage he has caused in those countries from his vaccination programs, how big a trail of red flags do we need? So you're saying that the COVID-19 pandemic and the resultant vaccine programs to inoculate hundreds of millions of Americans alone you know, forget the rest of the world for a moment, are part of a global thinning the herd strategy. What I'm telling you is data that's verifiable by any of your listeners, and I'm, I invite them to come to their own conclusions, stating that's certainly what it would appear to be when you have proof, peer-reviewed scientific study, 
that the gain of function characteristic was engineered, did not come from nature. And, and in regard to other corroborating proof of that, whenever any pathogen jumps from nature, that pathogen is still far more effect, effective at infecting its original hosts. Guess what? This pathogen is far more effective at infecting humans than any other species, period. We have peer-reviewed study again. It came from a lab. We have Gates, Fauci, and the rest, and they're correct on this, stating over and over the plant, planet can't support the population. Do we really think that they're trying to help us? I just saw Mr. Biden about a week ago state, quote, not a single person who's been vaccinated has died of COVID. The stats, even on the CDC VAR site, Vaccine Adverse Event Recording System, CDC's own site shows thousands that have died. My own father-in-law and stepfather both had the vax, both in critical care within three to four hours, both in the hospital a week, neither one better, neither event reported as an adverse reaction. I'm telling you, the system is rigged from bottom to top, and they are not here to help. And how are they now? Both struggling. And the prognosis? Don't know yet. And how long have they been in the hospital? Uh, they're back and forth. So this is like a uh, have, 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 chronic... Have you seen the, have you seen the various stats? Have you seen how many, how many are actually in the, in the European um, vaccine adverse event recording statistics? Have you seen any of those, Richard? I'm just curious. It varies from day to day. You know, you, you, sometimes you can't keep up with the numbers because they keep changing and the, and the sources keep changing. Like I was following the daily death rates and suddenly that data was cut off all over the Internet. You cannot find a daily death count anymore. At least I can. Well, that, that certainly fits, and I, know I wouldn't argue that. Uh, but we have, from the European um, sites, we have, I believe, a million and a half recorded adverse reactions. Half of them serious mortalities were in the range of well over 10,000. None of this is being recorded, not reported, none of it. Well, if it's not being reported, how do we know? Because it's on their site. It's mainstream media is not reporting it. Well, that's different. That's, that's a different kettle of fish. If government oh. is honestly publishing statistics, but the mainstream media are not, that's a separate discussion. Government's not honestly reporting it. They're simply – they can't hide all of it. This why not? Be about... why, why, why can't they? I've heard people claim absolutely that all the numbers are fake. That there's no way to know it's all just much worse than we know. And you're telling me they're accurate because you have, you have, because you have citizens. I'm not telling you they're accurate. I never said that. They're far short of the actual statistics because we know from VAERS data, Vaccine Adverse Event Recording System, that is about 1% to 5% of the total occurrences. So even going back to – let's look at breakthrough cases. That's when someone's been vaccinated to get COVID anyway. Even as of April 30th, here's the CDC stats right here, 10,262 breakthrough infections from the U.S. alone, from 46 states alone. 4,427 4, patients were hospitalized. 879 of them died. These are from the hang CDC on, Hang on, site. hang on, hang on. Out of how many people vaccinated? That's out of the total at that point, and that was certainly a, a high number. But again, this, these statistics no, no, are thought to be... How many people have died of the vaccine compared to the number of people 
who have been injected with the vaccine. On this particular data set, the total vaccinations of all three types are not listed, but that's how many adverse events reported from those who have yeah, been. But unless you know the number, the total number, versus the number of adverse reactions. What would that it, prove? Because it, it, it's what, not me. Because all, all vaccinations, all vaccinate, all vaccinations have a mortality rate. There's no uh, such thing as the perfect vaccine. Because uh, Richard, human beings present, biologically vary. I'm trying to make a point. I'm trying to make a point, and you're trying to change that point. Here's my point. Here's my point. President Joe Biden stood on a podium a week ago and lied his backside off about what he said. Blatant, glaring, total lie that no one who had been vaccinated has died of COVID-19. And why do you think he's not just an ignoramus? Why do you think he's lying? Given that on the CDC website, (laughs) you say statistics are published that totally obviate what he said, right? If he knew, if he knew, if he knew, please, if he knew the CDC was going to put out information that contradicted what he said, why would he say it? Unless he's ignorant. It's not that they were going to do it. They had already put it out six weeks before he said it. And And how do you know he read it? See, you're making assumptions about people's motivations when you cannot know. I have lived, you know, 70 plus years, and I found the level of stupidity and arrogance and insulation among people who should know better is incredibly off scale. Sorry, I'm not sure what your point is. When the president of the United States doesn't have a clue about statistics that are six weeks old. It depends on who he talks to. Oh, you can't be serious. Yes, I am serious. So you think it's okay. I didn't say that. I didn't say it was okay. okay. I'm saying you're attributing to malice what I'm attributing to ignorance. Well, sorry. Because if it wasn't ignorance, why would he say something that his own government had already contradicted? How many examples, how many examples of that do we need, Richard? I mean, I, I don't understand your point. I my mean, point is – You're my, telling me the, the president is not, is not briefed on these things, that he's just an honest guy that just doesn't have a clue, that tens of thousands of people have been injured already. Then how is he being briefed? Who's briefing him? You know, I, I tell you what, we're really going off hang on, on hang off right now. No, who's who is who is briefing President? What do you want me? Do you want me to give you a name and address? How can the world could I possibly know that? I Here's can tell point. you right offhand. I, I, I know what? exactly who's briefing him. Really? Yeah. You know every single person. You know every single person that's briefing Joe Biden and telling him what to it say. Only really, takes, you want me to believe that? It, it only takes. You want me to believe it, that? It only takes one. Let me tell you who the senior briefer is on COVID nineteen to this president. You know who and it you is? Know, wait a minute. I, wait, I want you to answer, though. You know that that's the only person giving Mr. Biden information, and you feel okay that the President of the United States in a speech to the American public has absolutely no clue what the hell is going on in the world, and that's supposed to in any way comfort us? I didn't say he, he knew, didn't know. I, I said basically what he said was a lie, and that's – I stand exactly No, a lie is intentional. Ignorance is when you say something and you don't know yourself it's a lie. So let 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 me go back. Let me let me. Well, given that it's my show, I can belabor any point I want. 
let me tell you who is briefing the current president of the United States on COVID-19. His name is, so if Fauci is the guy that Biden's listening to, and Fauci has a hidden agenda, do you think that Fauci might not have told the president the facts, that he might have slanted them, that he might have spun it, or he might have put it in a, in a document which is so far down in the fine print that given that Biden has 15 million other crises to deal with, up to and including Cuba, you know, what's going on in Europe, what's going on in Argentina, what's going on in the Northeast, the Northwest, he might be trusting people to tell him the truth because that's the way the system works. Everybody trusts someone else to tell them the truth because no one person can possibly ever, even if you're president, know everything. You're dependent totally on your briefings and your briefers and Fauci is his briefer on COVID-19. So before you accuse people of lying, you need to understand the system that they are as dependent on their trust level of folks they surround themselves with as we all are. Not sure where you're going with that, Richard, but the bottom line is if you think Anthony Fauci is the only individual briefing the president on the most societally impactful issue on the planet right now. I'm sorry, I don't see and that as if being you, reality. All right, so. let, let us say, and we have a wonderful example now because we have a whole bunch of tell-all books being written by people attached to the former administration. The way administrations work is that you have people who are part of the inner circle. Then you have, like seraphims and cherubims, you have larger circles around them. Let's, We're going to have to agree to disagree, Richard. I don't want to go, I don't want to dive into the this particular uh, micro focus of that Joe Biden only talks to Anthony Fauci and it's all okay that he completely misled the American public. If you want me to use a different phrase, I'm sorry, I'm not okay with it. If the president of the United States doesn't have a clue about the kind of carnage that's going on with vaccines, then something's radically wrong. Okay. I'm sorry. Any way you slice it, something is radically wrong. So I'm not going to keep going around in circles on that particular point and who told him what he's radically wrong. He misled the American people period with data that was that everybody else knew. And so clearly there's a problem here. So bottom line is, um, I want to focus back on why I'm here. If we don't deal with, with what's happening with the planet right now, climate engineering, single greatest, threat we collectively face, most near-term threat short of nuclear cataclysm. Climate engineering can be tied to that too because it's destroying the ozone layer and that can cause a CME which can take out grid power which can trigger nuclear plant meltdowns. We don't deal with that, we're done. We have, I would argue, we are not going to make the end of this year without major links in the chain falling out. In five years, there will be far less people on the planet. In 10 years, there may be none on the current course. I don't care who believes that. I don't care who doesn't believe it. But if we look at that statistically, mathematically, no environment, no human beings, and we are almost there. Okay. You have laid out now the ultimate endpoint, which is we're doomed. The fix is in. There's nothing we can do. So I asked you before the show, I want to end the program. We've got an hour and you know a few minutes. Let's talk about what people listening to this show tonight in their spheres in their spheres of influence, in people they influence, people who trust them, what can they do to change this horrible equation? Yep, happy to cover that because here's, here's my response to that. 
just because we can't go back to what was, and we can't. We know that, again, from paleo data. The, the equilibrium period after the last methane mass extinction was about 10 to 20 million years. That's a long time. What's happening now is exponentially worse. But if we can salvage anything, if we can save any part of Earth's life support systems, if anyone can make it through what's coming, is that not worth fighting for? And many people, unfortunately, think it's not. If they can't keep their McMansions and their their personal paradigm parties going, they don't want to try. And that's a very dismal attitude of the human race as far as I'm concerned. If we, we owe this to our children. We owe it to the web of life. We owe them to try. It's not an option. It's an obligation. So although there's no magic cure, if we can salvage any part of our life support systems, if anyone can make it through what's coming, then it's worth the effort. It's worth the fight. Okay, let's try to do this systematically. In terms of the institutions that Americans rely on for life sustenance existence itself, what segment of this set of mechanisms, institutions, know what we've been discussing for the last two hours? And what segment is ignorant and could be beneficial if they could somehow be enlightened? How far up the food chain is the fix in? How can I possibly answer that? You know, if I could make one more example, and let's look at, I'm not going to divert on the subject. I just want to make one single point. Let's look at vaccines that contain mercury and aluminum. And we have the entire medical industrial complex pretending that vaccines are, quote, safe and effective when they contain neurotoxins. And neurotoxins that are not only highly toxic in and of themselves, in the case of aluminum and mercury, we have peer-reviewed studies to prove when you combine those two metals, toxicity can increase as much as 10,000%, 100 times worse, and yet we have the whole medical field pretending that that's not harmful. So again, I can't know which of these individuals is just doing this for a paycheck and a pension or which have their heads so far where the sun doesn't shine that they literally don't realize a neurotoxin is going to do harm when you inject it. So I, I can't tell you how high on the ladder where the denial stops and, and where the understanding starts and they're just doing it for their paychecks, pensions, or because they know the planet won't support the population. I couldn't possibly decipher or delineate all that. But I, I'll tell you this, in the case of climate engineering, our legal team did a survey of 1,500 climate scientists. We published the entire list to give it validity. 1,500. We asked a simple question. Will you state on the record that you know climate engineering is not happening? None. Zero. Not one was willing to state. Well, it says to me, if we're parsing our words, that they're looking at the big picture of high-tech civilization based on all the things we've talked about in the first two hours. And of course, geoengineering is occurring. It's occurring inadvertently. Did you narrow the question to deliberate geoengineering? Stratospheric aerosol geoengineering. Very specific. Yeah, but that's also occurring naturally because of the no, phobia of human that's not, civilization. Of course. That's a specific science term that describes a specific patented scientific process. No, that doesn't describe inadvertent accidental atmospheric particulate pollution. Stratospheric aerosol geoengineering is a specific patented scientific process for atmospheric intervention. That's what they're well, asked. Let me back up to our conversation the last half hour. We were talking about these huge mega wildfires. There is open discussion. I, could, I actually listed a couple of them in my news items tonight where the firestorms are so intense that the aerosols, the particulates, the carbon, the ash 
is lofted into the stratosphere where it will persist for years. That is, depending upon your, you know, reasoning as to how these forest fires start, that's a huge event in most people's minds, a natural event, which then gallops along, accelerates, and produces an effect in the stratosphere that's not deliberate, again, if it's a natural event, but winds up having a tremendous downstream effect in long-term climate. It's not labeled. That's not scientifically labeled geoengineering, Richard. No, it's not. It is if you start the fires deliberately. That was my point in the last half hour. If you want to affect the climate on a mega planetary scale, start huge forest fires and you'll automatically create megatons of aerosols that will block solar radiation and will screen the ground. I, I sent you a video which you said you didn't have time to watch, but I sent you a video, 22-minute report, one of our most important ever. We've long since covered that issue at geoengineeringwatch.org. It's titled, Wildfires Serve Geoengineering Agenda. But that this has none of this, even though that is interwoven with climate engineering, the term stratospheric aerosol geoengineering is a specific scientific process. These are climate scientists. They know exactly what that process is. They refuse to to deny that that those programs and, and the the survey was very specific about those programs being launched. We're not we're not mudding the water with all these other factors that you're bringing into the equation right now. We asked them a specific scientific question that was framed very very clearly. So I'm not sure why we're diverging onto this off ramp right now. None of them was willing to deny it. So we're back to the question of is this just everybody meaning well, but but nobody really has a clue what's going on? I don't think so. Uh, so so we actually don't have time in this segment. We got an hour to, to go. So let's kind of pause it here. My guest this morning is Dane Wigington. We're talking about obviously something which is very controversial, which can get very emotional, which is the deliberate geoengineering of planet Earth in the worst case scenario to try to avert a catastrophe for all seven billion human beings by deliberately doing things that will sacrifice a large percentage of those human beings with foresight, foreknowledge, and planning. Is that what's going on? You're on the other side of midnight. My name is Richard C. Hoagland. We shall return. TheOtherSideOfMidnight.com Tune in to listen to Richard C. Hogland and his fascinating guests.
support the broadcast and don't miss another groundbreaking conversation. Join Club 19.5 to get access to exclusive member benefits. Listen to past episodes anytime on any device. Search the archives of over 180 episodes. Membership costs $9.95 a month, 33 cents a day. Talk radio at the cutting edge of science and thought. The other side of midnight.com. And welcome back, everyone, to the other side of midnight. It is now Sunday morning, July 18th. So this is the Saturday night, Sunday morning edition of the other side of midnight. My my guest this morning is Dane Wigington. Dane, let me ask you this, all right? I, I, I just made a very terse, very stark summary of how I'm seeing uh, the evidence you've laid out. That basically we're in a triage situation. So decisions have been made to sacrifice either deliberately or as collateral damage a major percentage of the 7 billion people alive on planet Earth tonight so that some percentage of those people, as we go through the now, in your view, inexorable planetary ecological collapse, some of those people will survive but not, of course, in any way, shape, or form that we would recognize as civilization. Is that an overstatement? Is that an understatement? Or is that basically just about what's going on? Where I would depart from that opinion is that that there is, again, any benevolence in these programs. And let me clarify that. This is about power and control. It's about maintaining that power and control until the last brutal moment no public disclosure it's about keeping business as usual for those in power so again this is this is a death sentence industrialized militarized civilization was a death sentence in regard to the the reverence people seem to feel for the so-called experts it doesn't take a long list of degrees or high IQ to figure out that you can't again can't loot plunder pillage and pollute on a finite planet with finite resources and expect to be around long so even aside from climate engineering again you could shut every form of human activity off and we have already sunk the ship in regard to the paradigm we have known it's done it's not coming back so we add climate engineering to the top of that, the interference with Earth's life support systems, the hindrance of those systems, preventing them from responding to the damage already done, and we have accelerated the overall process. And there's nothing benevolent in that. So, and again, and all the while, absolutely, matter of historical record, weather being used as a weapon. Historical fact, Project Popeye in Vietnam is only one example. So are we kind of just splitting hairs? Because if you say there's nothing beneficent about what's going on, that's a genocidal agenda. Black and white. It's bad for people because they're killing people deliberately. Right or wrong? 
That's a complex question. Again, when, when an entity does something to uh, retain or expand its power and control and has no regard for the consequences or who pays them, then that is still malevolent. Whether, again, does it, we're back to does the cancer intend to kill its host? No, not necessarily. Wait, 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 wait. The cancer analogy breaks down because cancer is not intelligent, and this is an intelligent human activity. Are we really behaving as an intelligent species that wants to survive long? We destroyed the planet in two centuries. Does that really imply intelligence? No, it implies incredible ignorance and a lack of looking forward because of the arrogance of certain <clears throat> groups that claim they know everything and all other groups that are subservient to trusting them to know. But when they're using weather, when they're cutting off precipitation to countries that don't even know they're at war, and again, we have the leaders of these countries on the floor of the UN stating so emphatically, how is that not malevolent? And when that infects the entire planet... No, 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 that's not my question. My question is, is it genocide? Is this deliberate genocide to basically triage the human race so that a percentage, when they go through this mirror, a percentage will survive? Because... What you laid out in the last segment was that ultimately nobody will survive. Okay, let me rephrase what I said. I'll say it again. I said it many times. If we remain in the current course, mathematically, statistically speaking, no one gets out alive. If we remain in the current course. Okay, so we, we have an hour then to now talk about what I wanted to do for the last two hours, which is what are the potential solutions? You spend literally 24-7, day and night, I don't know when you ever sleep, you have your whole family doing this, you have become like John the Baptist for decades, crying in the wilderness, this is going on, this is going on, wake up, pay attention, look around, ask questions, whatever. Obviously, you're not an idiot, obviously, you're not into lost causes, why, if nothing can be done are you doing this? To me, it says you think there's something that can be done. So what is the ad- objective of your incredible hard work to alert the citizenry, starting with this country, that this, in fact, is what's been going on? There's multiple layers in that answer. One, again, I'll state, if we remain on the current trajectory, if we can achieve a critical mass of awareness, if we can awaken military families so they know what their military member is involved with, a military member that's being told certainly that they're engaged in some planetary saving endeavor, which could not be further from the truth. We have 75 years of record to prove it. This is a, a cataclysm that's worse than the disease it claims to mitigate. If we could achieve a critical mass of awareness, we could possibly change the flavor of the concrete wall we're about to hit. Some might make it if enough of the Earth's life support systems could be maintained. But even if no one makes it, no matter what, and none of us can know, it's not over till it's over, although it looks very bleak. But I would argue this, for me, for every single individual that I had any part in waking up, however painful that wake up was, that by itself, that in and of itself, for me, matters. Every single individual makes this journey matter. If I had any part in the expanding of their consciousness and their understanding of what's occurring and why, and perhaps a contemplation of why we're here, that it's not about a personal pursuit of pleasure, we belong to something bigger than ourselves, and we have a responsibility to play our part in this play, not just for ourselves, but as a part of the web of life. If I have any part 
in awakening anybody. This whole journey was worth it. Even if it ends for me tomorrow, it was still worth it. Okay, let's talk practicalities. What can the ordinary citizen listening to us tonight, and we have an international audience, so people are listening you know, in countries all over the world. What can they do? What would you recommend as step one, step two, step three? Okay, I, I want to state this before I forget, that on the homepage of geogenwatch.org, we have an activist suggestions link. I'll elaborate on that, but that link is there with very critical details on what to do and how to do it. If you start a spot fire of awareness, and that starts with sharing credible data from a credible source. That's why we offer our printed materials at our approximate cost. In many cases, it's less than our cost. We're simply trying to get them into circulation. That, those pictures are worth a thousand words as the proverb goes. So those are extremely effective at waking people around you. And if you can, to give the mathematical equation, I know you know this equation, Richard. If one person shared credible data with two people on the first day of a 30-day month and helped to wake them up and asked them to do the same on the second day and so on for 30 days, you're into several millions after 30 days. It's exponential. If everybody simply tried to start a spot fire of awareness, plant those seeds of awareness, as the kind of climate events we have happening now increase, and they're going to increase radically from here on out, People are forced to wake up, and now they have the dots they need to connect to understand what's happening and why. And although that's not going to stop collapse from occurring, collapse is a given at this point, and it is perilously close. And those in power know it, and again, they're playing big cards in, in their attempt to try to deal with what has happened faster than they felt it would. But if we can reach a critical mass of awareness, we have at least a chance of altering the equation, a chance of allowing the planet to respond to the damage done and let me give one example that many of your listeners might understand. If we look at past epochs in Earth's, in Earth's history, the Pliocene epoch, 5.2 million years ago approximately, we had much more carbon in the atmosphere now, although not as much methane. Was the western end of North America completely incinerated and baked? No. It was lush because the planet was responding. There was much more rain. And this is your listeners should understand this. The atmosphere holds 7% more moisture for every degree C of warming. Based on statistical data, we feel we're past 3.5 degrees C right now. Should be much more rain overall. Yes, there's deluges in places. Climate engineering completely disrupts the hydrological cycle, causing drought and deluge. But overall, there is less overall planetary rain now on a warming planet. That's impossible based on the laws of physics without a factor we're not being told about. And that factor is climate engineering, which is completely disrupting the hydrological cycle. So... If we allow the planet to respond on its own, we don't know how profound that life response might be. Certainly life finds a way if it's given half a chance, but we need to stop the intentional climate intervention operations in order to give it that chance. Okay. Um, so the prescription, you say you on, on your website, geoengineering.org. There is a geoengineering, wait, 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 let me stop you. Because if people go to geoengineering.org, they're going straight to a pro-geoengineering website. It's very important to know it's geoengineeringwatch.org. Geoengineeringwatch.org is a pro-geoengineering website designed to make people think this is something good. Geoengineeringwatch.org is where our site is. Okay, okay. I'm glad you pointed that out. Um, <clears throat> if the fix is in from the top down, what can people do with the grassroots? In other words, if you want to affect change, I, 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 think, I think I discern that your goal is to stop all artificial governmental 
or secret governmental geoengineering operations, not only here, but all over the world, right? It's one of my goals, primary goal, yes. Okay, so, well, usually there are priorities. It's my top priority. If the most, I would say that would be the most, all right. How does that, how do, how do you affect that? How does the average ordinary citizen get that done? Again, it, it comes back to a critical mass of awareness. When a, when a person starts that ripple in the pond, that ripple goes out who knows how far. When I started this 20 years ago, I could only hear my own voice echoing back at me. No one listened to, responded to anything I said, no matter how completely verifiable the data was. Now, because of that raising awareness, I have people like the Minister of Defense of Canada contacting me, people that set me up a meeting personally with Wait, Gavin is this Newsom. the current Minister of Defense? We have contact with both. So look, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm giving only some examples. And now we have Air Force generals, two of them, Major General and a Brigadier General, both on film, on tape, in our documentary, The Dimming, which again, I encourage people to share directly from our home site because Facebook has already censored that film. So they can share the link from our homepage for free. We've made the film available well, there's for a free. Direct, there's a direct link from the other side of Midnight in your section of radio with pictures. Thank you. And in Google, by the way, uh, we're the top of the of the, home, of the first page, if they search the term geoengineering up until about a year plus ago, our rankings put us there because we have 37 million plus visitors. Google vaporized us overnight, gone. If you, if you search the geoengineering term, you cannot find our site. So it's important to pull the links from our site. But the bottom line is, as people share with others and they do the same, military people find out. People in Private defense contractors find out. They find out what they're a part of. And bottom line is, if we could put, push this issue to the full light of day, again, back to the critical mass of awareness, if populations around the globe knew that their governments had committed them to this experiment without their knowledge or their consent, now every single weather cataclysm becomes a potential liability for that government, all governments. Those in power know this. That's why, guess what? Just like, the, just like the vaccines, again, back to people just thinking it's all benevolent. I don't agree with that. If, if they know, if they think the vaccines are so safe and effective, Richard, why does the vaccine industry have total blanket immunity from any and all death and injury their concoctions cause? Total blanket legal immunity. How many people know that? And I want to tie this to climate engineering because our 800-page Senate document states in the document. Everyone, anyone involved with climate engineering gets total blanket legal immunity. Does that sound like it's coming from people who think they're doing something good and right and it's all okay? Was that a question? It is. Well, in a free market capitalist system, if you do something and you injure a lot of people and you're legally liable, you're busted. You're, you're, you're bankrupt. You go out of business. So it's just good business sense to try to build an illegal protection. So what you're doing has an adverse effect. It won't kill your company. And, and hang on, hang on. And if you then give money to politicians as part of a private enterprise-based campaign finance system, you will wind up with a situation where corporations, particularly pharmaceutical corporations, get coverage, protection, to prevent their legal in, in, you know, encapsulation of, of, of liability and harm, 
if something bad happens to their customers. It's power working the way power does. If you want to change the system, you have to change the system of campaign financing. You have to take individual politicians off the corporate private greed source of funds to a public source of funds so that these protections are not part of an incentive for corrupt political machinations to protect people from harm. First, I would um, point out that that is what you described is not capitalism, it's fascism. And two, in regard to any notion that we're going to elect some new people and everything will be fine, we're going to be in a Mad Max reality. Then why are we talking about alerting populations? What can they do, Dane? You're telling them the fix is in. There's nothing they can do. What does mass awareness mean if there's no mechanism to translate it to action? What do you want them to do? It seems like that really angers you, Richard. And here's because you're would... not giving me a prescription you're... for what they can do. You're telling me that every Wait. avenue that I'm recommending is already bought and paid for. There's nothing they can do because the political system is hopelessly corrupt. Politicians are at the at the tit of a fascistic corporate, you know, symbiosis. Therefore, what does awareness do except make people very desperate because they know the truth? It's coming at them like a freight train, and there's nothing they can practically do. What can they practically do? I'll restate what I already stated. Collapse is a given at this point. Perhaps we can change the flavor of that collapse if enough people know, and if we can stop the intentional climate intervention operations in time, we might be able to extend our stay on this planet. You understand when you tell people they're already dead, it doesn't motivate them to do a damn thing. Uh, Richard, I don't need a lecture. I'm telling you the facts. That's all I'm telling you. If you want to live in some other reality where the, the, the truth is just simply too horrible to face, I can't change that. If you're not willing to face statistical mathematical certainties. I'm asking, what are you asking okay. people to do? I already said it, Richard. I, I said if we, if we can reach a critical mass of awareness in time, if we can stop the intentional intervention in time, we can at least How change. do we stop the intentional intervention? Okay, I'll repeat that again as well. You share credible data from a credible source. You wake others around you. You ask them to do the same. Sooner or later, that ends up in military circles. We have a chance of stopping these programs from the inside out. So I I said this already, and I'll say it again. And on top of that. But wait, wait, wait. Military is a chain of command institution. The only way you're going to affect military policy is at the level of the president or the joint chiefs or the Department of Defense, the Secretary of Defense, the average soldier, the average airman, the average, you know, uh, guardsman, they can't do a damn thing. Otherwise, they wind up in prison. They cannot mutiny. First of all, I would argue that Biden, Trump, Obama, Clinton, or any of the rest were in charge of anything. They're simply puppets in the play. The last person to draw a line in the sand with the power structure was Kennedy. How long did he last? Two, when you reach enough people and as their world begins to fall apart and their families are now looking for the next bite of food and they know what's happening and why, you have at least a chance of changing that equation. And finally, and I want to reiterate this point, which I already stated, I'm going to do the right thing because it's the right thing to do, not because I have a guaranteed happy ending. Life's a seasonal occupation. The season's about to get very short. But I'm going to do what's right because it's right, 
not because I have a guaranteed happy ending. And how well is that going with electing this official, that official? The entire system is rigged, Richard. The whole Democratic, Republican, left, right, liberal, conservative, it's all designed to confuse the population into thinking they have some say in the matter when they don't. How long does this facade need to go on? Then why wake up anybody? You're telling them. You're telling them there's nothing they can do. You know what? I'll answer it again. If we have any chance of salvaging any part of Earth's life support systems, even if that's a small chance, that chance is worth fighting for. Richard, if your child was in a burning building and you had almost no chance of saving that child, would you not try? Fit into that category. I would try. And I'm going to try. I'm going to keep trying, no matter what, no matter what the odds are. So, again, I'm going to do the right thing because it's the right thing. All to do. I'm asking, Dane, you know, is a roadmap. What do you want people to do? You want them to Should talk I? to other people. You want them to share data. Okay, so now we have a body of people who all are aware of this. What do they do individually or collectively? The yeah, only I'll mechanism the only mechanism in law they have is through a legal political process of electing representatives. But you're saying how well is that going? But you're saying how well is that going so far? I mean, how, then how well what's the alternative? I'll tell you again. I'll answer it again. I don't know how many times uh. I'll answer it again. If we if we can reach a critical mass of awareness and populations around the globe know what has happened to them. And that every single weather event then becomes suspect. They know they've been committed to an experiment without their knowledge or consent. We have a chance of changing the flavor of what we face. As How? How? You tell them. Uh, you just said God, they're powerless. Richard. You just said that people Richard, don't Richard, count. Please, please. Dane, this is a circular argument. Uh, Ron, uh, yeah, help me here. Okay? Yes. This is, this is, okay, this is yeah, Ron, Ron Gerbron, who is our resident generalist, who looks at a number of these issues. Ron, I presume you have some questions. Uh, I do. And yeah, you're right. It's gotten completely circular. Dane, I'm sorry. I, uh, I agree with wait. a lot of the stuff that you brought wait. up. And wait, what, what, wait, 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 what, what? Okay. You know what? Circu- you guys, a circular I'm argument. Sir. No, I'm sorry. I'm getting off the phone because you know why? You guys don't give me a chance to say anything. You want to sit here. I've and given you two and a half hours. No, no. I'm, I answered the question as to what I should do and why it would matter and how it can still affect the equation by reaching people inside the system to have a chance of stopping this from inside the system. It's not going oh, to happen. Wait, wait, you said something new. A, you just said something new. Inside, who inside the system can the ordinary citizen reach? I'll answer that question again. Okay, Would Dane, I did not call up to yell at you. So give me a chance here, okay? I mean, I will if I have to, but uh, don't keep saying I'll answer it again because the reason that there's yelling going on is because you have not been making direct, simple answers. I know the conclusions of those statements I, I, you are, asked clear, are clear to you. Are, I want to say something. You asked me to be a guest on this show and provide data, and if you think you have the right to yell because you don't understand the answer I gave, or maybe it's not quite. Sir, clear. you've been yelling, and I'm not yelling, but uh, Richard, you got uh, Richard's was... pretty aggravated. Calm down, calm down. You're among friends here, or you should be open-minded. Okay. I'm sorry. Okay? I, I don't we... feel that way at all. I'm gonna answer one well, more. Why? Question. Why not? Why not? Why not? Why not? You say if you state the same things over and over. I got some. I got a. Okay, I got something very simple. Have you ever heard of Charles Hatfield? Uh, I'm not going to branch off into some 
prairie. Why not? It's your field. You're talking about climate modification. And in 1915, he was a famous rainmaker. Uh, he was contracted by the city of San Diego to end a drought, okay. which he okay. did. We're, we're not, I'm not, that's branching off into a prairie. That has nothing to do with what's going on today in our skies. Well, you you're saying, you know what, you, uh, you, you, have you guys have a nice stated, night. You guys have a nice night. Well, that's intriguing. See, oh, normally, no, hang on, Ron. Normally, I'm sorry. Norm, yeah. Hang on, hang on. Normally yeah, in, in discourse, you know, the way this program works is the people come on, they present data, and then it is, it is uh, met with questions, intelligent resistance, deeper questions. I'm asking him if he has basically cuckolded the political system, told everyone that they are powerless and they're all going to die, but he wants to excite them to do something. And all I asked ask was, what do you want them to do? And he says, well, alert everybody. But if everybody is powerless, if they have no levers of influence on those making these decisions, then what's the point of alerting anybody if there's nothing they can do? Seems clear to me. And you, Richard, you know personally that I disagree with you on a whole bunch of stuff, <laughs> especially when it gets to politics. So it's, but that was, you know, that was, a, that's simple enough. Uh, the, but uh, Richard, you do know that the collective consciousness has a lot to do with controlling a lot of things that people don't want to accept. Yeah, but a guest is supposed to be above and beyond that because they are a singular authority, right? Um, let me throw in one little thing that's just a clarifier from early in the show that everybody can think about. Uh, you were talking about how can people be that stupid, you know, that they wouldn't, that they would let something horrible happen. Uh, you were talking mostly about atomic tests and the people standing there. And although Dane did not say that uh, the people were put out there to get toasted by the radiation on purpose, uh, I think that was stupidity. Because if anybody's heard of Madame Curie and the discovery of x-rays, uh, one of the things that came out of that was the fact that radium glowed in the dark. And therefore, practically every watch was available with a uh, day glow surface painted on the numbers. They had people painting the numbers in radium paint on the watches, and that went up all the way through the 50s. Yeah, and how many of those women, and they were mostly women with their little fine brushes painting with radium paint on the watch dials, how many of those right. women died horribly of cancers? And there was a suit a few years ago where they finally – as a class action suit got legal redress for enormous ignorance and stupidity on the part of those watchmakers who had hired these women to paint using radium paint, not understanding because ignorance is overwhelmingly profoundly available all over the culture. Most people yeah. know almost nothing about everything, but they trust yeah. people. And they trust people implicitly because no one person can possibly know enough to even survive, let alone prevail in a modern society. The trust. What, what Dane is doing is attributing to malevolence what I think is attributable to an extraordinary sea of ignorance, which is inculcated by a few that do understand, but most, even those in 
positions of power do not. So I come back to my question. I wish he had stuck around because that's the measure of intellectual honesty. When you're meeting opposition, you stand your ground, you marshal your facts, and you argue until the last dog dies. You don't run. Yeah, here's a question for uh, someone with a constitutional historical background. Was it Jefferson, I think, or Hamilton that commented when they were putting together the um, Constitution that this government and these rules will work for moral men? And that's the key key caveat, yes. The assumption that people are good, not evil, and that most Mm -hmm. people, most of the time, are mostly honest. If we don't depend on that, then Republican democratic civilization is ended, global warming uh, be damned. And we're at the bottom of the hour, so let's take a break. My guest this morning was Dane Wigington, who, um, I shouldn't say this, he kind of wigged out. You know, Ron comes on, asks a couple of questions. Dane gets incredibly defensive, keeps claiming he's answered the questions, but again, If you tell everybody it's pointless, why should they bother to turn out? This is the fundamental fact of every election. You want motivated voters because people who are not motivated will not go to the polls. Um, I'm going to, when we come back, I'm going to give out uh, some phone numbers. If you want to join the conversation, by all means, because we have an open last half hour for the first time in a long time on the other side of midnight. My name is Richard C. Hoagland. We've been talking about nothing less or more than the end of the world as we know it. And I did not hear from Dane a practical solution to how do we change that curve. I may have missed it, but I don't think so. We shall return. side of midnight.com talk radio with pictures on demand liberate your hyperdimensional time scale and non-linearly access over 400 hours of conversation at the cutting edge of science and thought join club 19.5 to get access to exclusive content that fits your interests and time schedule Filter episodes by guest or subject. Membership costs $9.95 a month, 33 cents a day. Talk radio with pictures on demand.
theothersideofmidnight.com. Welcome back, everyone, to the last half hour of The Other Side of Midnight uh, for this Saturday night, Sunday morning edition. Um, if you want to join the conversation, if you have a point of view, if you have something you want to express, if you have some data on the subject at hand, given that my guest uh, kind of retired from the field before, before he should, um, the area code is 917, number is 889-8802. 917-889-8802. So, Ron, let me, let me come back to you because, yes, you and I have all kinds of rather remarkable agreements and disagreements both on and off the air. Um, oh, I, yes. I, I wish Dane had stuck around because I think you were opening up a very important uh, line of questioning. So go ahead. Okay, well, I'm not sure what that line of questioning was other than I wanted a simpler answer, but it's like, uh, I mean, governments have messed with the ecosystem going back uh, probably as far as we can measure in history. I mean, it's the, uh, the fact that the Romans, after a particularly nasty war with Carthage, uh, responded not graciously, but by going in and salting their agricultural fields, and to this day, uh, there's vast areas of Libya uh, where you can't grow much of anything because they ruined the soil, uh, and that was intentional. Uh, in this case, I mean, I've heard people make the case that there are extraterrestrial interests that want to take over this planet, and one way or another, they would like to kill us off. And I've also heard that, well, the governments know this, you know, and so the folks behind the curtains are trying to make this place inhospitable for the uh, invaders so that they'll give up and go away. And I'm not quite sure that either one of those uh, scenarios would work, but uh, I have to admit I was, I had a lot of supportive thoughts about what uh, Dane was talking about until he started talking about carbon millions of years ago. Uh, That carbon that the trees like so much is part of carbon dioxide. Now we have some pretty good equipment these days for cracking it apart to get the oxygen out. Uh, they're testing air machines out on the new rover in um, Jezero right now, I think, but um, certainly be useful for a space program. But you can't call it – I mean, carbon dioxide is what plants eat. They need it. So they're going to be happy. They're going to thrive if the CO2 level is higher than we like. Uh, we've got a 3 or 4% um, um, tolerance to the uh, amount of to the percentage of oxygen in the air. So we should be fine for a while, but I'm just tired of people that since I was a little kid have been telling me that the sea level's rising, all the cities are going to be underwater in 20 years. And I keep hearing that over and over again, along with the refrain that we're running out of oil and we'll all be gone in 20 years. And that keeps recycling. And I, I don't think those people know what they're talking about. I do think that they're messing with the climate. I do think they're spraying stuff in the air. And he's right about the incendiary uh, capabilities of that uh, aluminum powder, because out here in California, yeah, 
we see that. I mean, they see firestorms. They've never the people that fight the wild, the wildfires have never seen firestorms develop before. I They've saw problem a, I, I saw a number the other day for the number of pounds, hundreds of pounds of aluminum particulates, tiny micron-sized aluminum particles in the soil per acre, mm-hmm. which is staggering. And of course, the only place it's come from is from uh, chem sprays, stuff falling from the yeah. sky. So. See, that's not that's not what I'm, you know, arguing against. I'm arguing against Dane's idea that it's all malevolent and that most of the people who are doing this do not actually think they're doing it for a positive reason, which is to prevent ultimate catastrophe, because if they do nothing, the planet's going to burn to death. And that's an argument that he does not seem to want to really address. Okay, we've got some calls. Yeah. Area code 901. You are on the air. Sign in, please. Hello, is that me? Uh, if you're Tammy, it is. <laughs> yes. Um, actually, I was calling. I might be wrong, but my interpretation is what he was trying to say was that if you start spreading the information about the chemtrails, that maybe people would start activating like maybe calling their senators or if they knew pilots that were um spraying it in the military they would stop but a lot of the chemtrails has already been penetrating i don't really think that the average person we can keep spreading the information i just don't think that's going to stop it i think it's at the military level that are doing the chemtrailing and that's going to take insiders to stop it. That's just See, that was say. where I was going. And at the very last before he left, he said insiders. But I wanted him to walk <laughs> us through how does public awareness translate to political action? Because this is political. Ultimately, it's a political decision to do or not do what they're doing. And how in a system built on a chain of command – does anyone below the Joint Chiefs affect policy if the decision has been made at levels ordinary citizens cannot reach? This must be done. Otherwise, everybody dies. We're past the point of no return. And he didn't have an answer for that. And that's the critical, you know, where the rubber meets the road, because you can't get a lot of people excited if they figure that anything to do is pointless. Therefore, why do anything? It I makes think me you think really the ending of the, oh sorry sorry Tammy go ahead. <laughs> well, all I was going to say is I, I understand his point. At least the people get awakened. They can at least do some preparation for it. Maybe store up some food. Maybe store up some water. But I don't understand how we can really penetrate to the people who are giving the commands to the military to do the um, chemtrailing. That's my question. And obviously <laughs> I'm not going to do, I'm going to do more shows on this because I think from our own research, I've got a couple of answers and they're connected to certain things that are going on that we were not allowed to get to in the last uh, hour or show of the show. Um, Tammy, did you have any other questions or comments? Or, Cause we've got other callers waiting in line. 
That was all. Thank you for your time. Well, thank you. And please call again. <laughs> all right. Thank you. Bye-bye. Okay. Night. Okay. Area code uh, 516. I think this is a caller from Long Island, if I'm right. Randy, is it? Hi, Richard. This is Andy from Long Island. And I'm listening during a thunderstorm. Ah. So, uh, yes, during a thunderstorm, I'm listening to a show about weather modification, which is great. <laughs> um, my take, okay, that's terrible. God has my a sense take, of humor. <laughs> my take is that uh, for years, people would talk about um, weather modification or chemtrails were thought of being crackpots. And I think that he was very wrapped up in his facts, making sure that he was being taken seriously. And he couldn't make the leap uh, to speculate as to what we could possibly do to, to rectify the situation. And I think that's where he kept breaking down. He had all the data, he had all the facts, but he couldn't come up with a maybe optional plan to maybe help, and that's where he couldn't make that leap. And he got stuck in that area. He couldn't get past that because you guys kept asking the questions on, well, what can we do? And, uh, and I'm well, sure it seems you, you want to the obvious question. If, if, you're, if you're presenting me and by metonymy, the, our worldwide audience tonight, with an implacable life-or-death apocalyptic situation, and you say there are things people can do, then you need to tell them what they can do and what the odds are it will be successful, and you need to be specific. At least I think. Exactly. Thank you, Richard. I appreciate my, uh, listening to what I had to say, and uh, big fan. Thank you so much. Okay, we'll call again. Okay, uh, I'm looking at the board. Nobody's online at the moment. Ron, it's back to you. Yeah, okay. Uh, oh, my God, a breaking story. There's a man that climbed to the top of the Knott's Berry Farm Tower of their Supreme Scream uh, ride, which I guess is some sort of roller coaster, and he won't come down. Uh, maybe he's um, trying to make some political point. I, I guess we'll find out. Uh, yeah, the oh, for the... Charles Hatfield, just to, I hate to leave stuff hanging. Yeah, I was uh, dying to know who Charles Hatfield was. Okay, he was, no, he was well known. And in fact, uh, it's very much like out of the world of uh, L. Frank Baum. I mean, he's, you know, he's, he's uh, the Wizard of, of Oz. Was, yeah, he, and he was not a huckster or anything like that, but he actually made it work. And he had this big smudge pot array with some, um, uh, super scientifical looking stuff attached to it. You know, um, the, you can, you can look it up and see pictures of it and stuff. He was very serious about it and he put a certain concoction into the air and it would somehow waft up and cause, uh, rain. And it was remarkably effective. Well, and it's not serious. He was creating nucleating centers for raindrops to condense around water vapor that would then ultimately, you know, be get big enough to fall, as rain. It's basically the silver iodide mm -hmm. from airplanes that was used in the 1950s as part of local uh, weather modification or, or rainfall it increases. Right. He was, well, he was particularly successful with it in several places. So the city of San Diego had been suffering for, uh, through a drought for four years and hired him to make it rain. And he said, well, the first 30 inches of rain are free. <laughs> he said, I, he was so confident. And uh, the, uh, so he set his thing up and he, it pumped away. And inside of 48 hours, it was raining like hell. Unfortunately, it didn't stop. 
and it, it oh. flooded. <laughs> it oh. completely flooded. I mean, like those pictures from Belgium. It just it just flooded the area out, oh. and yeah, and he the law turn it of off, unintended but, consequences. Right. Well, he gave them what they asked for, but then they refused to pay him. <laughs> so he uh, he had to sue San Diego to try and get get some of his money back, and I'm unclear on how that. Uh, how that was resolved, but it was, uh, yeah, it's, so people have been doing this and I'm quite sure that that, ex, that excapade of his and similar things in the time frame um, were responsible for people getting interested in it, you know, in the, in the, within the power establishment. Yeah. Well, empirical evidence, you know, if, if you can make it rain, yeah. I mean, well, how many, um, how many, you know, native American tribes have had rain dances? Is all that just based yeah, on yeah. nonsense? No, probably. You know, and I, I, I should bring uh, Dr. James DeMeo into this conversation because I think orgone and cloud busting and all that as part of the radical alternative technology to say nothing of a couple of things I have up in my uh, section of Radio with Pictures tonight, which includes some very mm -hmm. exotic U.S. naval patents, which if any of those was brought to market, would have a marked impact on the current trend curve. Um, I, I just wish that they had stuck around for the end of the conversation because there's more things we can do than I think exist in his uh, lexicon and vocabulary. And we got some more callers. Um, area code 780, you are on the air on the other side of midnight. Sign in, please. Good evening, Richard. Can oh, you hear me all right? Yeah, that's me. I'm Dale. Go ahead. Can you hear me all right? Oh, it's just it's wonderful to speak to you fellows this evening. And I'd just like to say if I ever get to be 10% as wise as Ron, I'll be a very happy man. <laughs> well, he is yeah. a general. You, 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 you fellows are really um, uh, enlightening. I, I must say I've never uh, uh, heard a guest uh, sign off before, so I, I had a lot of passion about what you were saying, so I, I wanted to... Uh, have some, a bit of real data, but uh, I live in uh, uh, Western Canada, and we've ex been, uh, excuse me a moment, I'm just trying to hold my nerve, uh, we've been experiencing a lot of this uh, heat uh, dome uh, situation lately, and, and living in this part of the world, well, my whole life I've lived here in Edmonton for 50, almost 60, and I've never seen patterns like this quite before. It used to be when we had thunderstorms, we had rain, and then a few years ago, the rain just stopped of when the, the storms would be coming, and uh, quite a, a, a lot of other changes. There's been a lot of uh, fires, as you say. I, w I would say, off the top of my head, it's just eco-terrorism of, of a sort, because uh, I think they're targeting infrastructure in a manner of speaking, like the, the, the we've had uh, hacking into um, uh, computers of meat supply companies or the... Uh, uh, other situations, even the the, the the large fire we had in British Columbia. I mean, the there colonial was, uh, pipeline on the East Coast that was taken down by ransomware a few weeks ago. Yes, that's the one. That's the one. And the uh, I listened to last night's show on the other side of the news, and they had a woman on from from British Columbia, who had meant there was a we had a, a, a fire wiped out ninety uh, percent of the town of called Lytton. And she mentioned an interesting phenomenon where the, the fire, they would uh, burn cars, I believe. It was blamed on rail lines of such, uh, but the cars would burn, but the trees were untouched. And she mentioned shafts of God 
So that that brings to mind, uh, oh, who knows, you know, perhaps atmosphere. Well, it sounds like some kind of energy beams, does it not? I was just going to say, I, I was just going to say uh, an energy beam, because this happened, where was the town in California? Wasn't it called Paradise? That was the uh, first was one last year, the burn. Yeah, thanks, thanks to your radio pictures. I've, I've been listening for many years back to the uh, original show. Well, see, this and brings up a very interesting question, and I want to so stick around, okay? Because I want to I go will. back to something Ron said. Absolutely. Ron, you mentioned as one of your hypotheses when I asked who is doing this, you mentioned extraterrestrial influences. And remember, uh, yes. my model is that we are at war. And I have not put time limits on how long the war is or who the cops are and who the bad guys are and the good guys and all that. But if you imagine that we are only a subset of the human family and that a lot of extraterrestrials are not aliens, they're just cousins, and some of them are on our side and some of them, like in families, are not, and some of those that are not would like us to just quietly go away, how would you accomplish that? Maybe you would create a system, we're going back to... uh, Charles Fort now, where the local governors, the controllers at the planetary level, the so-called deep state, whatever you want to call it, they do the bidding of the folks upstairs. They follow their orders. They don't question. They have been given assurances that they will be okay if they even ask the question, well, what happens to us? And therefore, you have a percolating chain of connection where the planet is targeted in a look, ma, no hands, plausible deniability scenario. Oh, they were too damn dumb to realize what they were doing to themselves when, in fact, we have been gently encouraged to use exactly the wrong energy sources and prevented from turning to the right energy sources that would maintain human life and existence and a healthy planet. Mm. Well, the only problem I have with any of that is... Let's have Dale answer and then you can answer. Oh, Oh, sorry. I I just had a thought. I've I've had a lot of thoughts about a lot of your shows and it's it's hard to think, but perhaps they're encouraging to do to us because they've come... uh, what happened to the uh, planet that Mars orbited is some sort of uh, self-destruction. We're being encouraged because that's what they want. They don't maybe want to uh, blow up the planet. They just want to transform it into some useful aspect of their own uh, purposes. Because on a sufficient time scale, the planet will yes, regrow. Yes. Ecosystems we said, will uh, regrow. 60, and depending upon their, on, on their time horizon, well, it's not even that. It's a few thousand years. <clears throat> No matter what we do to the Earth tonight, in a few yeah. thousand years, if we're all gone, you come oh. back, it will look like the incredible, lush, virgin, you know, Pleistocene uh, climate that we, that Dane was talking about in terms of the fossil record. So whatever we do is a, basically a veneer, unless we use radioactive, you know, weapons, and we poison mm-hmm. the planet to where large swaths of the ecosystem cannot survive and even then there will be some kind of survival it just will not look like anything we're familiar with so on a long enough horizon nothing humans do to earth can kill the earth itself 
just those of us who are currently living on it? Well, probably mm. not in that time scale, but I think we, we may all disappear for a while and come back if, if we're, we're out there. We'll, we'll be back. Oh, okay. I, just wanted to I heard a, I heard a dissenting uh, grumble from Ron. No, no, no. I, I, I'm, agreeing, I'm agreeing with Dale on that, that the, uh, yes, if we get off planet, which, of course, certain people like Musk uh, that I won't mention are um, <laughs> very interested in, then uh, if we start up an alpha colony, so to speak, uh, to mix another metaphor in there, then, you know, we could come back. And in Richard's model with the um, breakaway civilization, they're already out there. And so I, I, but what I was going to add is that I can't see the value of uh, destroying the uh, real estate. You know, if there's truly ownership, and I'm very Fordian in my viewpoint about that kind of stuff. I mean, I'm um, the. I think some. I think somebody does have a proprietary interest in the planet. I don't think they exercise it as much as they could. Uh, maybe we're just a very small part of a very large enterprise. To steal a line from the movie. Okay, but, uh, hang on, hang on, hang on. We don't have a lot of time, and I want yeah. to get this idea. And coming right off what you just said, yeah. Let's assume yes. that Earth is a chattel civilization. That there are managers. Someone. I won't use the term owns us, but they manage us, okay? And they want the planet itself to survive, and they don't want all the horrible things that are being projected to take place unimpeded. What if the scenario is that it gets so bad that the only thing that can save it is external intervention by a group, I'm going to say the family, that show up and say, we can save you, but this is the price. And they have technologies which have been suppressed deliberately for decades, if not a century, here on Earth. So they will look like the Gaul. They will look like they have godlike powers, whereas all they're going to be using is good old hyperdimensional physics and torsion field technology to solve these huge fundamental systemic problems of a civilization dependent on fossil fuels and they can radically undo a lot of the damage which has been done but the price will be we're no longer in the illusion that we govern our own souls well put god you're not arguing with that wow no, I got Well, I no, certainly I, hope I, to be I given a choice. <laughs> Dale, what do you think? Well, I, I certainly hope to be given a choice. It's 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 a lot to think about and uh quite honestly I've just I'm I'm working I'm I'm sticking I'm not sticking up for Dane, but I'd like to offer my opinion uh thoughts that people can I have a printer and I, I print up materials and I take them around to I'm hoping to take them around to, to inform people. But uh, um, it's uh, it, it could be long term to whether they want this planet or not. I think it's it, it may be that they don't plan uh, don't plan to you know, use it, occupy it for a while after they wait us wait for us all to be cleaned off. Although I, I do think it's uh, all the programming that have been uh, put down to us that I, I I'm leaning more towards the malevolent side. I, I just hope that enough people. Uh, 
will make a difference. You know, like perhaps people who will report on these activities would be uh, very enheartening. If we had something similar to the UFO thing from the Pentagon with regards to geoengineering, that well, would be see, magnificent. This is the part that I wanted to get to that Dane yeah, bugged out. Yeah. He, he wasn't it. being practical, Richard. He was just, he was so impassionate that he just couldn't get down to, like I was sitting here and I think, okay, he's going to let go. He's going to let go. And I, I have my clock here. So I see you've only got a couple of minutes. But I was just, I was getting stress pains in my chest going, why doesn't he just get down to the common man and say, look, you know, you just, just do what you can, you know, even just talking to people. But if, if three people would come out of the sprays, and I see sprays all the time. We had a 15-degree temperature drop in the last 36 hours. So I've never seen anything like it. But if people would just look at that, perhaps, you know, email the weather guy. <laughs> that's, that's practical. Well, the thing I was going to get to, and I've only got two minutes now, Yes, I understand. We, if we do have hearings on the mm-hmm, UAP mm-hmm. UFO phenomenon in Washington with people riveted to what is said, it's already on the record in the DNI report to Congress in that six-page summary. Three mm-hmm. times in the first paragraph, it says these vehicles, I'm paraphrasing, are a threat. They're a threat. I download all your threat. material. I copy and all your material. And that implies yeah. to me that the DNI knows who's running these vehicles. They know they're working by an alternative physics, which can, among other things, control energy and gravity to an unlimited degree. And those two breakthroughs alone are all it would take to completely change our footprint on the planet and give hope where tonight Dane left us with yeah. no hope. Well, I'll, uh, as far as hope goes, I saw that I loved the picture of the Hanabu wreck on Mars. The curiosity stuff, you know. Oh, there's there's your uh, there's your Jupiter too right there. <laughs> as I saw it. That's <laughs> what I think. Yeah, anyway, oh, no, it was. As, you, as you can tell, we're running out of time. So I will good night you. Uh, I will tell yeah. everybody tomorrow night we're going to be talking. Thank you, Dale. We're talking with uh, my guest, Mr. Eastwood, about Beyond the Pentagon Report. And I guarantee you there are going to be some amazing surprises in tomorrow night's conversation. And I'll make you a small wager. Thank you, dear. I do not think that he is going to bug out before the end of the program. So until tomorrow night, same time, same bat channel, You've been on the other side of midnight, a rather intriguing, and I would say singular edition. So until tomorrow night, when we pick up the idea of what kind of alternative technologies might be at hand to save the planet, remember, third star on the left, straight on till morning. Good night, everyone. <laughs>